When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Foundation of Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Foundation on Apple TV+. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're here to talk about Season 2, Episode 7, Unnecessary Death. Aaron, what do you think of this episode? I think it was the second time this season where I was seriously challenged with an act of willpower to not just immediately hit next episode. Uh, <laughs> right? That's that's why that's where we really earn the money watching television is resisting to go on onto the screeners to spoil ourselves so we don't fuck up the podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's uh, this is a great episode. It's got a lot of great things going on for it. I do have a concern. Um, oh, okay, about how the thing that the, the about how the episode ends and kind of like a conversation we had with uh, uh, David David Goyer last week. Um, but yeah, it's it's another terrific episode. It's super exciting. Uh, I like the statecraft. I like a lot of the monologues and duets. Mm-hmm. Um, some really great writing. Uh, some jaw dropping visuals with the spacers. They also really elegant. I mean, you know, it's um, a lot like they had the situation in Dune where you've got a, sp- a navigation guild that's uh, dependent on a chemical. Um, but it's like chemical yeah, it's to survive, not not just. A, yeah, it, it's a it's a Jim Hadar situation. So it's mm-hmm. like that's that's inherently interesting. Uh, and the fact that the foundation has a way to kind of free. I mean, that's the thing. It seems like that the, the foundation has a lot of soft power here that they're trying to wield. And For the sure. Empire is going to try to wield actual power, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But I, I don't know. They're starting to tell the story of the Foundation is really being ready for the Empire. Like that. Yeah. Yeah, while at the same time, Harry himself just getting totally screwed. Like, all of Harry's plans seem to be failing right now, and I don't, I don't know if I buy it. I don't know if... I there's some other thing that Harry's got to unfold here that says, I kind of expected some of these plans to fail. And if they did, I had contingency plans because every ad, like the, the human Harry, like Harry being human is a strange thing. I guess he didn't really expect that right now. Him dying is a strange thing. His emissaries to the empire getting completely, uh, shut down his, deal with the spacers like not going through nothing seems to be going right for the second foundation here but and i think I, that's interesting because it it yeah. just it can't be that right it can't but on the other hand like that's one of the pleasures of reading the books is that like every time you see a twist and like what the, there's no fucking way that uh-huh. was the way it was supposed to happen it turns out no that's pretty much the way it's supposed to happen so and that's what i mean right like now, these events are radically different than their deployed so like i don't i, I don't I'm, i don't have any certain knowledge than like the exact same thing we saw this like oh how are the foundation going to get out of it and you know who saw the invictus coming right right uh, and that's the thing like there you know there are little crumbs here and there where it's like oh spacers are surprised that he can even track them that doesn't yeah that's not possible according to them so 
that's the thing. I, I'm like, none of this can actually be falling apart the way it seems to be falling apart. And I'm excited to see what, you know, other machinations are in the works. And all the world building felt really cool. I, I liked, I mean, this is kind of like uh, a, a novel feature. No one knew that this could happen, but the way that the, uh, the spacers can at least maybe, maybe you have to be genetically related spacers, but they can like communicate through hyperspace in Apparently, real time. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. fucking cool. And I think that's, there's a couple significant glances from she who is center and she who shines brightly that I thought at the end of the Imperial, uh, the, 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 what would you call that um, meeting that might be suggested that they're exchanging some skepticism with the Empire? Um, but I don't know. Okay. I thought that, I, 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 yeah. I mean, it's I, a, great it's a great offer. Episode. And I like that. I, I was like, oh, this offer from Hober is so obviously good on the face of it. They're just going to mm-hmm. take it, right? And mm-hmm. this will be the next chapter where Empire realizes, oh, we're totally screwed because now we can't move around. No, no, it goes the other way because it's too risky. They've got a thing that they have accepted already, right? There's a status yeah. quo, and upsetting yeah. that might cost them a lot more. So I and thought this it was is also- fascinating that they don't take the offer. And I like also because I assume the she who is center is their leader, their ruler, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting as a counterpart to Empire, who doesn't ever really have any skin in the game. You know, she's talking about like, oh, it's twenty percent an acceptable loss. You're like, oh, maybe she's one of the elites that don't have to give up their children. But no, that's not the case. She's yeah, she, she bends, she's saying her... that like, she's she's uh-huh. coming from a place of trauma where it's like it could be a lot worse. And sure. from from the their perspective, like this is one vial of Ketracel White or whatever it is. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, it could be a trick. Like maybe the Foundation took a hundred years to synthesize this vial. It's a it's a, a, a Harry Truman into the World War Two situation where it's like you don't have mm-hmm. any of these fuckers we got. We just did yeah. two. We might have a hundred. We might have we didn't have any more. <laughs> it turns out. Uh-huh. Um, so it's like it's a lot of trust, and Harry had to have known that. That had so it's like there's some things right. you could easily see him account for, but then you see his corpse bobbling in the execution tank, and it's like, did, did he... he account for that? Yeah. yeah, and that's the thing. The fact that like, how like y- okay, the, yeah, that's a, one of the fascinating. Uh, um, it's one of the fascinating things to explore in a novel is like how do you account for outliers? Like the very nature mm-hmm. of an outlier is something that you don't have data points for and you can't account for. So how do right. you do that? Especially when you have people who can predict the future and read people's minds. And, you know, cause that's like half of human nature is essentially Nash equilibriums and prisoners dilemmas that don't work. Mm-hmm. If you could read people's minds. Sure. So like, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's no, it's one of the bigger questions I have. Hopefully we get answers on that. And if I hadn't said it yet, I'll say it again. I, another episode of jaw-dropping visuals. Uh, Hober ripping a jump gate open in the in the middle of the sp- uh, spacer ship was super cool. Yeah. Uh, even little things like I thought the mull squid things were pretty well realized. And oh yeah, yeah. Um, that that one's a little that effect is a little rough around the edges, but come on, you they thought can't so? all be perfect. Yeah, hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just I'm I'm. Maybe these things are more gelatinous than I think they are. You know? I think so. I think because I think they're like like the way real squids are. But they were jiggling also, around like jello shooters, and I was like, "Is that how an any?" Animal? I did wonder but, yeah. what they gave Rachel House. Is she chewing like like on a? Did they make like a couple gummy versions <laughs> of those? And they kind of did a little bit of CGI smoothing and whatnot because 
It's just like when you see Amelia yeah. Clark eating a horse heart. It's like, no fucking way uh-huh. she's eating a horse heart. That's like, these are not even real yeah. animals. So, like, what is it? Yep. But I mean, that's the other maybe thing. It's I, nothing. Maybe it's air. I real well. I, the other thing I really appreciated is like I thought the writing was great because a lot of these positions that I am biased against because for whatever reason I think are extremely well argued and coming from a position where they're like steel manning the arguments. Even the Empire I thought did a pretty good job of exposing the mm-hmm. potential hypocrisy of Selden while also shining in masses spotlight on his own. But mm-hmm. it's clever. No, I- I find myself listening to the things that people I view as villains are saying and going from a certain perspective. You're not wrong. You're not entirely wrong. It's like in Miller and reaction to it that makes me ick. You know, it's like in Miller and expanse blew the uh, proto molecule researchers head off and like Holden's like, what the fuck did he's like? This guy was Saturn make too much sense. Uh (laughs) It's like, yeah, uh, He's a bad guy making sense. I got to take him out. Yeah. So we got a worm tongue situation here. We need to excise yep. the poison. Uh, but it's, yeah, uh, a lot of great stuff in this episode. It's good. I really like the uh, Empire stuff, too, with him him pushing back against the onslaught that Sarath has been bringing. Because I feel like he's been cowed in literally every scene before this. He's mm. been trying to play it off like he's not scared, like he's not worried about how much she knows and how she's acting in this scene. I felt like it came back around where he really is not. He's he's get, he's realizes that the game is up, right? She, she now knows basically for a fact that he had her family killed and he's now leaning into the power that he has. And I think it's, it's a different day than we've seen in the last couple episodes. And it's a day that's more exciting to me. Yeah, I think you. this is the death of the day that had hope that he could have maybe a conventional relationship with this woman and oh, like, yeah. have like, because I think there's a little bit of a fantasy where he wanted that. He wanted like, oh, right. sure, she's going to be put on the spot. But, ah, oh, you know, I've I've worked on my charm and my diploma and I and my bedroom skills. And, and it's it's good. We're going to be a happy family. And that 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 if he had that hope uh, mm-hmm. that he was entertaining, it di- it died this episode. And those lines uh, about you know the cultivation that they've done with their personality and the way they speak and all this, I, I think it's fascinating. We could talk about it when we get there. Uh, but yeah, I'm really liking the Empire stuff too. And then the Shall- seduction of Dawn is so good. Oh. oh. So many uh, possibilities there. Yeah. I mean, like, what, I don't know. What do you do? You're 19 and a hot girl comes up and says, <laughs> put a baby in me before your <laughs> stupid older brother can. I'm fertile. Uh-huh. Oh God! Um, I don't know. She also says, "Put your dick in this dick slicer," and I'm like, oh, <laughs> "That's <know."> a scary." <laughs> Have you seen the movie Ice Pirates? No. Huh. So there's a scene where these guys. It's, this is a stupid '80s like um, uh, Star Wars parody, essentially. And uh, okay. these, uh, I don't know, these uh, intergalactic aristocrats have have captured our merry band of pirates, and they're going to turn them into like uh, neutered and brain wiped slaves. And they show these guys going down this like conve- conveyor belt, and the machine that's going to unman them. Oh no! In fact, it might even be an homage. It looks a lot <laughs> oh, like no. this thing. This yeah. is just chomper, you know. Uh, Don't but worry, it's, this, it's the opposite. This is going to retunnel a new, yes. a new vas deferens for this guy. Um, Apparently, twenty seconds of or something of nanobots. Hmm. I bet that's a that's a good twenty seconds. And then twenty seconds of pleasure when they make love. And, and you know Day's going to insist to be awake for it too. 
because he's so uh, paranoid. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. We saw that. We saw the nano worms weaving through his flesh. He's 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 used mm-hmm. to it. Um, <laughs> shall, shall I talk through my concern? Okay. Yeah. It. It's possible, and we just talked about this with Goyer, so he knows, like, it's like we talked about, it's like, you know, with all the ways you can kill someone and rebring them back to life, do you ever worry that, you know, these deaths are not going to be meaningful? I think it's interesting that two episodes in a row we have cliffhanger deaths. Of major characters. Now Mm -hmm. major characters, and, like, I'm sitting there at the end of the episode just, like, gasping, and I'm like... Is this like giant swing where they're just going to kill two major characters and holy fuck? And again, there's other Harrys, but right. Salver is a unique person. Uh-huh. Or are they going to just like, you know, it's just going to be undone next episode, easy peasy, in which case, you know, uh, I my my gasp when Harry died, you know, when Gary, Harry and Gal, uh, Salver died the next time will be half as loud. And then eventually, so it's like... <sighs> I know they know the yeah, dangers, I, but it's like one of those things where it's like, boy, this is such a big swing and it's such obvious. Like, it feels like it's schmuck bait. Like, it's like, you know what? Yeah, obviously, they're not going to kill Harry and Salvor, but maybe I, they I could, feel what? that, too. I, I'm definitely it's the biggest reason that I want to just click play next on this episode is right. I don't I don't really buy it that they're going to kill Salvor right now. But I would say it would be a huge swing if they did. Um, yeah. I would, I, I would definitely miss that character because I think season two she's really coming to her own and I'm starting to mm-hmm. like her a lot. Um, but I also want to like point out she's not dead yet, right? It's not like Harry. If Harry comes back to life, um, you know that's kind of the. It's not necessarily schmuck bake because he's everywhere, right? But like. Right. She's not dead. Her brain's just turned off and she's face down in the water. And it doesn't seem like there's anyone here who would want to save her. It's just like Harry wasn't dead last episode, but it seems like he's definitively dead in this one. I think he was pretty dead last episode. Uh, the, the way that they zoom, they pull out that camera yeah. with him, with his eyes open, not moving underwater. I, yeah, I felt like he was right. dead. With but her, if you, it's like, been but two if like the opening scene down. had been Salvor jumping in, like I would obviously and believe that him. she could get him yeah. out and resuscitate him, and he'd. So it's like that's what I'm yeah, saying. There is like, no it's... brain death there yet, for sure. Yeah. But like, yeah. I... So I don't I've know. Got... I half expect. So I made this prediction about Harry being, you know, a human robot hybrid thing that maybe he can mm-hmm. breathe underwater and he's not actually dead. I don't know if that's on the table, but if it, if it is, and tell him walks away from this scene within twelve seconds, thirty seconds, two minutes. I believe that a Harry back. that doesn't need to breathe could wake up and and realize, oh, Salvor is here. Let me get her out of the water. Can Although it, he's chained. It, I don't know how he would do that. Can a humaniform what she's I know she's cradled in his like arm. So like I think she's he right could probably like okay, I'm still alive. You you lie, you live too, and now help us get us out of here. Right. Uh, right. But then again, like Tellum would be able to read all that, I feel like. So they also explain the mer So yeah, if well, he's a humaniform. I, I buy that because they also just you know they're they fully pulling Dimmerzel cat out of the bag. She's a human mm-hmm. form robot, uh, something mm-hmm. we know. But like they, I, it's interesting that they mention that phraseology right as you're debuting this theory. It could be like yeah. that would be actually I would I would actually find that be a pretty nice subversion. Um, but that's the yeah, thing. It's like I there's a lot it. hinging on the next episode because and, and again this yes. is not fatal. 
Like if they do do schmuck bait, every show does schmuck bait every once in a while. But it's uh-huh. like it's like radiation. Like it, you it's, know, the like next a, time too they big a dose, it. like too big mm-hmm. a schmuck bait yep. will make you die. And like it's lethal and over time. Every exposure, exposure yeah. the audience like desensitizes to it. So, but you know, obviously from a conversation. Uh, everyone on the show is well aware of this, so they're, they're thinking about you, it all the time. Yeah, they're thinking about it. Whether they get the balance just right, right, or, I don't know. But that's the only concern I have. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I, mean, else I felt that feeling. Cylinders. You know, play next. Play, I want to. Yeah. I felt my thumb clicking that button. So, so they bad. nailed something, right? <laughs> so bad. Yeah. Yeah. All things have a cycle. First the podcast, then the ad. getting geared up for the 6th annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints... Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Here are the weekly highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Apple TV is releasing a new series based on Blake Crouch's novel, Dark Matter. Aaron and I are big fans of his work, so we're picking up the new show on day one. Join us this Wednesday for the preview podcast. The Shogun Limited series might be over, but that doesn't mean our Shogun coverage has to end. We've got the wrap-up podcast releasing this Tuesday, where we'll consider all your feedback and final thoughts on the series. And because we like the show so much, we decided to go all the way back to 1980 to cover the first TV adaptation of the novel. Do what you can to find a copy and join us this Thursday for the first of our four-part podcast on 1980 Shogun miniseries. And finally, the latest first-run movie, The Fall Guy, features Emily Blunt and Ryan Gosling. He's a stuntman tasked with finding the star of his ex-girlfriend's movie when he suddenly goes missing. Is it a rom-com? Yes. Does that mean I'll automatically hate it? Not if the trailer lives up to its promise. Join us for the podcast on Bald Move Pulp this Thursday night. 
You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Math is never just numbers. This isn't just a podcast. We're back with more Foundation. Uh, anyway, let's get into the recap and we can talk in detail about this stuff. Let's do it. We start off with Polly and Constant being held uh, in a, a, a kind of cell. I don't know. This felt like a like a train station almost that they're being held in with a bunch of guards. Uh, and they're being lightly tortured with lights. Uh, they think they failed their mission. And then Day and Demerzel, we, we see them kind of looking on and considering what to do with them. And Day assures Demerzel that she will always have a place here, even once he's destroyed the dynasty. Yeah, can we talk about what is actually happening here? Because they talk about, okay. she's like down and down and goes. At first, I'm like, is this like a big, slow-moving elevator that's going to take him to the core of the planet or something? But then it goes, the you know the light pattern goes to the bottom and it bounces to the top. It's like... And they talk about it like, well, this is to keep you from committing suicide by boredom. And is it is this like a very high tech, sophisticated way to kind of like when we uh, back when we invaded was it Panama, uh, Noriega, Manuel Noriega? We like blasted his house with like loud rock music for days on end to drive him crazy and, and make him surrender. Is this that like? Yeah, or the not torture where sleep. you keep. Yeah, you keep uh, prisoners awake by loud noise and lights and stuff. Yeah, or it's a pretty, like a water a, torture kind of thing, right? The, the drips, the constant drip. You wouldn't think, but in aggregate, that's a that's a no torture. deprivation of sleep is a classic torture method. It also so- softens mm-hmm. people up for uh, interrogation. So I think that's what they're going for. But it's like one of those things where it's like you know, it's magic technology. So who the fuck knows? Yeah. Um, it's clear on subsequent watches that Harry briefly possesses Constance's body when she says, you know, if that were possible, would any of us still draw breath, right? That's like her first mm-hmm. inkling that there's a little bit more Harry, a little bit more than meets the eye going on with her. Yeah, I didn't understand necessarily the mechanism um, that that was all taking. I Maybe we could talk about that when we get to the actual uh, throne room scene. Yeah. But I, I I like the line, uh, just as Rios arrives in the outer reach, the outer reach reaches out. Interesting. Um, yeah, he's seeing these sort of pieces of Harry's plan interlocking in a way, right? Does is he medium suspect the bell is involved, or is uh, he just admire? Is he just is because because I. I considered that, but I think he was just more of like the suspicious timing, not because he says yeah. it's it's yeah, it's just, it's, it's just as Bell Rios arrives to the outer realms, they reach out to us. The way he mm-hmm. named them, I thought it's like, does he thinking he's betraying them? But I after the, the entire episode, I don't think so. I think he's just, you know, it's suspicious timing. And the fact and he's that he's always got a base level of suspicion with Bell, right? because he has to fight his orders so you know there's right. going to be an inherent like eh, I don't like this guy right and uh, you know that's the thing is like I, I thought that was also interesting how they had that uh, statement about like you know could he they have sent the blind angels after me are they capable mm-hmm. of that she says it's the problem empire we have no idea what they're capable of we thought we knew well, well we didn't yeah. even think we knew we thought they didn't exist up until now. And now we find out they not only do they exist, but they have technology beyond our own. That's terrifying. Yeah. Um, 
so this is some I it's funny because like I've been trying to figure out this Dimmerzel Cleon 16th day situation you know it's like you know who's taking advantage of whom um I haven't seen Dimmerzel this fucked up since she ripped her face off last season and I started thinking when I started thinking about that I'm like oh my god this is still the same individual that ripped her face off in like shattered fragments of loyalty last season Mm-hmm. This is still a deeply disturbed individual, and it seems like she's just barely like I think she has strong feelings for Empire for this particular Empire, and he's got strong feelings for her. Did she rip her face off after killing Dawn? Is that when she did that? I I'm... think so. It wasn't after she killed the 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 luminary, right? No, that was I... the next episode. Uh, it, maybe that, that those maybe. were all stressors leading up to it. It could have, mm. yeah. But but like I said, that was to me seemed like a robot suffering uh, from the psychosis of multiple overlapping rule violations. Uh, but which they kind of address this this episode. They we'll, do. We'll they name check the three rule, the three laws, um, and we'll get to that stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Dimmerzel is still a cipher to me. I don't know exactly where her loyalties lie. I know um, we're probably going to get some more information on that later in the season. But also, yeah, here nine is the big Dimmerzel dump. Yeah, um, yeah, we'll see. Let me ask you this: Did you clock Day saying that my children might not look resemble me? Mm-hmm. This is just him talking about the novelty of mixing new DNA. He's not pre-suspecting one of his brothers, and no, or I don't think he has or any have, or that... being being insecure about not being a hundred percent Cleon himself. No, I mean, I I think it's just the new nature of family to him. I agree. I was just asking. But the bottom line is he's emotional, she's emotional, and she looks like she's Mm -hmm. having a hard time keeping it all together. Uh, And then Rue gets in the mix here and is trying to stir some stuff up. Um, And Sarath are stirring shit up. Rue says... She's unhappy that Sarath embarrassed Day in public. She thinks that's a dangerous thing. Uh, Dimmerzel shows up to spring a surprise physical on Sarath. Uh, they're actually going to... It's time to harvest her eggs and a whole bunch of stuff we'll see. Um, as they walk to the exam area, Sarath tells Dimmerzel that she knows she's a robot and asks if she'll serve her once she's married to Day. She says she will serve Empire, which is not, I think, the answer that Sarath was looking for fascinating scene Mm -hmm. that cuts to the heart of a lot of things we've talked about and suspected Um, you know we knew she served the Empire since at least Cleon the first because we saw them planning the the space elevator and the the, uh, genetic dynasty Mm -hmm. Um, but any other masters and she says not directly and then she talks about the three laws um and now she's only bound by one law, which I, you know, immediately I thought about Goyer talking about reprogramming a robot. Yes. And, you know, I guess it's also fair to, when you're talking about the nature of copying, the control C versus control X, like, could there be echoes of the previous code that, like, yeah, she's overwritten with the desire to serve Empire, but is there still, like, that one, two, three, zeroth law rattling around in there? Has to be. Or otherwise, she wouldn't be having this psychic yeah. distress. And Empire is such a such a more nebulous thing than the concept of humanity. It's fairly mm-hmm. easy to define humanity. Right. Defining empire is a different thing entirely, I think. And that's where it gets complicated. 
and interesting, frankly. And she also says, like, so the other thing is, like, I don't think robots would Dimmerzel be allowed to lie to Sarah, tell an outright fabrication, because when she says, oh, yeah. are there any other survivors of the robot pogroms? She says, to my knowledge, I am the last one. I don't think there's so very much wiggle room. Like, is there to my I knowledge? So. Do you think yeah, her memory could been be a straight altered? up lie for one? OK, because right. uh, she's not empire lie. yet. Um, I think that's true. a distinction needs to be made. True, true, true. Uh, and to her knowledge, leaves a big loophole, you know, for for there being others out there. She just the might not be aware of them. She says to my yeah, to my knowledge, she might not know, but like I don't think her memory has been altered because it seems like she's pretty confident that she has an unaltered memory of all of the Cleons. Like she's the she's the last backup of reserve. If you trust well, her, and and if. If she can trust herself, would she know? You know, is it more like a uh, Cleon being edited where they wouldn't even know? Well, if her distributed conscious again, that's like how distributed. And and uh, she clearly understands that she used to be bound by these laws, but now she's bound by a different law. So she has some continuity there um, that maybe she wouldn't have if she were altered significantly. I don't know. But that's that's also yeah, when she says, well, when the time comes, will you serve me? I will serve Empire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a great, that's a non-answer. It sure is. Because, like, it seems that Empire literally is day at the lowest level. Right now? Yeah. Yeah. And maybe, yeah, throughout the dynasty. It's always been day. Yeah. Uh, all right. Sarith is examined for fertility and they want to harvest her eggs but she says not until we're married and Dimmerzel allows it uh, Dimmerzel and Sarath talk in private and she tells Sarath to think of the way her parents died and imagine how similar it might be to the way she works uh, yeah she's given up just the whole game here right I mean there, there's nothing left hidden in the arrangement that they have now why do you think Dimmerzel does relent? I really don't eggs? know. I, I I don't know because Zareth has no power in this scene. It's almost on the good grace of Dimmerzel that she skirts by, you know, having this opportunity to approach Don later. I feel like it goes back to what we talked about with like Day still has hopes to have a happy, you know, happy wife, happy life. And Dimmerzel knows that she she's knows like... That. Like, yeah, this would be an outrageous bodily insult to someone who you wanted to, you know. So it's like, yeah, but then in the next breath, she's saying, We killed your family. Well, that's the, that, so like, yeah, but, there, there but also, fucking, you know, Rue tries to smooth things over a couple times. She tries to warn, he's like, Look, you're being a little bit, you know, bullheaded about this. You need to back off. You're poking the bear, um, yeah. When uh, there's some great lines in here where she's like, you're not harvesting anything until we're properly married. And she's like, well, you're no, no. Uh, Dimmerzel says, you're no position to argue. And she's like, Dimmerzel, I can argue from any position, which is uh-huh. hilarious because she's flat on her back with the legs up in the air. And she's and doctor's it, hands up in her, her business. <laughs> right. That's and the thing. The great she's scene dropping... is she's. Hmm? She's I said, all this is happening while she's having her, dro- her groin traumatized. Like, oh yeah yeah the guy's not I, think, I thought he was being a little bit especially at the end a little bit mm-hmm. rough rough yeah. rough with the the innards yeah potentially Which i've heard tell not a super fun thing to begin with oh i can imagine yeah uh yeah. luckily when they when they probe around my nether regions i'm usually knocked out so 
See, that's the thing. I'm at the age where I get the I get the annual invasion for the doctor. So it's oh, like, yeah, yeah. I, I get a little, yeah. But he's not like shoving some plastic duck bill and cranking me open either. That's like mm-hmm. a whole other kettle of fish. Totally. So I, I thought uh, that was like a strong scene, just like the way they staged it. It's just like everyone is in such a position of every conceivable advantage over Sarah, and she's still like taking on all comers and antagonizing Demerzel. And the line she finally, she's like, "Look, you're Imperial property," and she sh- shoots back, "Well, you would know, wouldn't you?" That's Ooh. the thing, right? Like she's physically compromised in this scene, but Demerzel is uh, informationally compromised. Her her secret is known, and I think if it were to get out there, there would be a lot of unrest about that. Yeah, the, the no. hypocrisy, the naked like, hypocrisy of it is shocking. I think we've observed, uh, you know, just a, a set example size of, you know, what, three people is Rue and the Handman and, and Sarath. But like, I think you're supposed to understand that the average human hates and fears robots uh-huh. like as violently as any race of people have ever hated and feared another one. Um, yeah. And it's like it's like the boogeyman. I mean, there's so, a reason it's been thousands of years uh, since they've had robots, right? Yeah. That's so ingrained the, in the culture. Yeah, because like many other great science fiction universes, the robots almost wiped us out, and we had a massive mm-hmm. uh, reaction to that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm glad they're continuing to explore this. Um, it is interesting because like, they're showing that you know, Demerzel has like real emotions and they're not just like confusion and stuff, but she can have like sorrow. She can be insulted and angered. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good stuff. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell you exactly why she's allowed. She allows this other than Sarah knows her secret and she doesn't want it getting out there. And if she forces the issue here, there might be some reckoning on that. I think Day has her on a leash, but it's also and like I and I think that Demerzel probably didn't want to say that thing at the end, but she was provoked into doing it. I actually mm-hmm. wonder what Day would think if he knew he that she said that. I don't know because I, I look at like what is the play there? Is it to intimidate? Because it's certainly an intimidating line, um, and it also like Sarath overplays. She didn't confirm. She's just saying that this is the kind of destruction I'm capable of. Mm-hmm. But just, yeah, like oh, I said, no, she I, doesn't confirm it, but then she, she, you know, Sarah goes right. over today and he, says his reaction does, yeah. to it all, all but confirms it. Yeah. 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 No yeah, one's going to so come out and him. say, we killed your family. Ha ha ha. Right. What I, I wonder, inferring. like, like what Demerzel would say, if she's called on the carpet. She's like, I didn't actually say we killed her. I'm just saying that like, I'm capable of something like that. So watch out. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just say, whoever did kill her, damn, they did a great job. Yeah. <laughs> whoever killed your family is awesome. Holy shit. First rate assassinating, let me tell you. Uh, I And there's a, a shot at the end, or sort of the middle of this scene before everybody's dismissed and Demerzel and Sarah talk in private where she kind of looks over at her handman and, say, and all but says, get that device for me. Because uh, she sees the nano probe that's going yeah. to uh, re-tunnel... Mm-hmm. A day and she wants that for her purposes so she's formulating the plan like right here on the table I thought it showed a lot of strength for Sarah to keep her outburst inside herself until at least Dimmerzel got out of the room like Dimmerzel definitely mm-hmm. saw she's upset but like fucking Sarah broke down 
Yeah, something she's not quite as effectively able to do with Day once she like really confirms that not only is it this robot that is acting alone, but my future husband also mm. is the that one I who cannot get this. out. There's no way out of this relationship. It's death or what revolution? Yeah, the only way out is through at this point. Yeah, yeah. So, but also Day's kind of stuck with her because we talked about if she dies mm-hmm. mysteriously. Oh yeah, it's gonna. There's no way he doesn't come out of this looking weak, you know. Yeah, no. So his it's, best it's best delicious. effort is to this is to keep up public appearances, even though they hate each other. I love it. It's a mm-hmm. it's a, a Cersei Robert Baratheon situation. I was gonna say totally Game of Thrones. All right, Salvor tries to convince Gail to leave Ignis, and she's unable to read anyone here, and it's giving her a bad feeling. And then a sighted child, Josiah, comes up and fetches them to prepare for the feast. There's a a really strange filter on this scene. It's a little bit different from some of the filters we've seen before. It's kind of a reverse fisheye. I thought it was the same filter they're they're using to show when psychic powers are happening. This might be the difference. So I saw somewhere in an interview where they were using two different effects here. Uh, One in camera, because they like to shoot everything they can Mm effects-wise in camera. And then augment with CG where they need to. And so those effects were slightly different, though they were trying to match them up as closely as they could. So this might be an in-camera thing where they used a funky lens. Because I was trying to... Uh, my, my new theory is that these lens effects are triggered by any act of psychic power. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that's all because, like, I think Salver's being suppressed, which I think would be a psychic power, but a lot of her scenes are clean. Uh-huh. And, but, like, it's it's odd because, like, clearly, you know, uh, uh, Gail's here meditating on primes and working on her psychic powers, and the field is in full effect, and it lasts up until she throws Salver against or across the, the path, and then it stops. Mm-hmm. But it seems like this, and I'm, like, saying, it's like, oh, well, so we rewatched the last few episodes of Tell Them, and we looked at the episode, and we looked at the scenes with, like, the, the funky effects versus not. Like, could we come to a clear and fast understanding of when things are being fucked around with and when aren't, things aren't? You probably can. I assume it's just a consequence of Gail doing whatever mental meditation she's doing here. Yeah. Because, um, she, you know, she's she's doing her thing, which is counting the primes, and then she's also sitting on a rock like Yoda uh, or, or Luke meditating uh, and using the Force, right? I wonder if they're if they're consistent because like in Star Wars, anytime anyone uses the Force, light side, dark side, there's always like a rumble in the mm-hmm. you know soundtrack that you audibly hear the distortion the Force is doing. But you don't have like you know you wouldn't have to do that you know like if every sure. you know if, if Yoda's just kind of like using his like you don't have to always do that. It's like it it could just be that they're doing an effect and they don't have to be consistent. Um, it might not be right for us it's to be possible. using these storytelling cues as like tells but we'll see I'm, I'm still keeping that's my current theory and I Me got too, some yeah. other outgrowths to that uh, later on in the episode and this is the hilarious culty thing that that makes me immediately dislike tell him is mm. she preaches this openness and everybody's talking about how great of a place mm-hmm. this is because you can't hide anything everything's out in the open here and yet what's happening to Salvor this entire time she her her powers are being confused and stifled and she's unable to access them it's the exact they are preaching one thing and doing exactly the opposite yeah it reminds me you know because the the cult i grew up in they prided themselves on how open and how brotherly everything was and you know there's no secrets and but like 
every single person had to wear a mask as a consequence because you had to appear mm-hmm. that you are this when no one can be that you know so like i i i did to, to me this had me putting my hand like reaching for my gun put my hand in my wallet and slowly backing away because anytime mm-hmm. like someone's in the early phases of like maybe fucking around with the cult and they're like, well, now's not the time to pull. No, now is definitely the time to pull threads because by the time you yep. you put you yep. push those doubts down for a couple of years, and you're you're going to be in too deep. Yeah, absolutely. So like, I'm um, on salvers, but like, also Gail's got like, we can't fuck around with this. There's there's something here we need. Tellum's got it. Like we, you know, they're like we're trying to kind of run a scheme on them too. I I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how it goes for Salvor. Um, she goes down to the beach. Yeah, we kind of hinted at this scene a little bit, but she talks with Loron. It's the guy who pretended to be Hugo, and he apologizes for kissing her and promises that she'll love it here because no one can hide anything. And then Salvor sees a boat being pulled in and gets a bad feeling, even after flipping her coin. And then they go to the feast. Yeah, and he we, notices this and uses the feast as a distraction. Does. Yeah. Um, and we get introduced to the ghost mollusks here, which are apparently a great source of protein. Um, and also, these I said that the, you know, G- Salvers, you know, because she's definitely not as talented right now as Gail is at her various right. abilities. And she's like, "Oh, you guys are excited because Gail's here." And he's like, "No, Talon sees uh, that your talents are just as important, which is interesting." Yeah, maybe in the way that they're connected to each other, but. Yeah. I don't know because the end of this, she certainly doesn't value her talents much if she's yeah. willing to throw them away. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Um, yeah, I, I was super curious. Like, why is she looking over at this boat? I, I didn't connect the dots until later in the episode. Where... I did too. I was like, why? Because I, I did not assume, although that's very smart, that Harry would be off on some other island or something. Uh-huh. I just thought it'd be like or some kind the of coast. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just around the coast a little bit of ways, uh, mm-hmm. you know, something easy walk. I didn't think that they'd actually trans. I was like, yeah, what, what the fuck are you going to learn from their fishing data? But right. Yeah. The yeah, last resting place of Harry, Sel- Harry and Selden. Apparently. Uh, and then Salvor and Gale feel the ghost mollusk pain when they're boiled alive for the feast. Tell says, yeah, it's normal. And goes on a self-righteous speech about the nature of pain and humanity's relationship with it versus the metallic's relationship with it. Uh, it's all stuff that I'm like, you're not technically wrong. You know, I don't know if I value the pain of a plant the way I do the pain of an animal, but sure, if you want to view it from that certain perspective, Obi-Wan, then yeah, you're technically right. Yeah, I mean... There is this, like, the cost of living is destruction. Like, Mm -hmm. there's not a single thing other than plants that are able to uh, derive their sustenance for free without preying on something else. And even some plants are carnivorous. Uh Uh-huh. So, and like, we are... sphere of thinking beings. We are fortunate enough at this era in human development that if we continue to go down this path of valuing all living things uh, equally, that we could probably right now pull off a vegetarian, vegan diet. And probably Mm -hmm. in the next century, we could even, if we didn't want to eat plants, like we could literally harm no living thing. Um, Yeah, I I, I don't Mm -hmm. know how I feel about all that. But I absolutely agree with Tellum that if we had to feel the pain and the cost 
uh, to other things for our survival mm-hmm. that a lot of the bullshit that happens here in this planet wouldn't happen. Like the, the curbing of access, right. that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, the trouble comes down to the sort of excuse and the way you can use that philosophy of honoring pain to justify horrible acts. And that's where, that's where to me, because she's justifying Harry's death. She's justifying Salvor's own death in those same terms. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's what the title of this episode is about. And I, I, it's, it's a philosophy that is technically correct, but in the wrong hands, it can be used for abhorrent things. True, but you could say that literally about any school of thought. I've yet to see a school of thought right. humans can come up with that can't be twisted. And you know what? We should kill those other people. <laughs> and, and and that's exactly why the things that she's saying that are right don't mm. assuage my my distrust and dislike of her in any. Yeah, because another way to look at that is if you're feeling the pain of everything that you. That's another way of saying you are becoming desensitized to the pain yes. of destroying living things. Uh huh. And you would think beings that can feel that would have a responsibility to do better. Stop mm. eating the higher forms of life. Start eating, start figuring out how to survive without these things, not find a way to desensitize yourself to the pain. But on the other hand, they're also extremely sensitized to their own pain that they, you know, like uh, if I take their, their word and they're stronger together, they probably feel... I don't know if it's on a daily basis, but they're intimately familiar with all the ways that they have been preyed upon collectively, you know, from other mm-hmm. individual experiences, right? And when you look at a guy like Harry, who's coming here and say, I got a mathematical formula that says that you guys need to work for me, that we can prevent... Eh, like I mm-hmm. said, it's like, I, I'm a little... I guess I'm a little bit softer on Tellum. I don't know that she's evil. Um, or if she's evil, she's evil like Magneto, where it's like damn there could have been a lot of things happened to keep her from being magneto and that none of those happened so it's like sure yeah i I don't want to be the human destroyed by magneto but also i'd be the first human to say we kind of had it coming from the way we've been treating these mutants and our fellow man for hundreds and thousands of years so right uh, no i i I feel or not i don't know i don't know if i would label her evil or not i just don't i don't think i could get on board with her philosophy here I think it's like, you know, if a child breaks, so if your child breaks something in your house, yeah. you don't freak out and say, why the fuck did you break? You idiot. Like, what are you doing? You know better because they don't know better. That, that's the humans in this scenario. Right. Whereas the sighted, they know the pain they're causing. Yeah. They should this try and do better. And you this can blame them for the pain that they cause. This is true. So There's a lot of truth I, in the world. It's almost too big to fit it all in one box. <laughs> right. And it's hard to take a, a hard and fast side on this stuff because, yeah. And it's also like I, she's I'll, right. the way that I think uh, Rachel House is playing her, like when she bites that mollusk, when she's like, uh, there's a little sparkle in her eye and a little slight smile that like undercuts the solemnity. Like, I think there's a way that you could deliver yeah. this and it feels very grab. Like, you can see, like, the chief of the Navi in, uh, uh, in Avatar saying this stuff and, like, nobody, but, like, he would, it wouldn't be with a sneer, right? There's a right. little bit of a sneer, right. but there's also a very touching sincerity to her other students. Like, I thought I was really uh-huh. taken aback by one of her acolytes standing there stone faced, but with a single tear running down his eye at the idea that Salvor's going to die for their cause. Like, uh-huh. It is 
I think a genuine thing that is probably fucking with a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they feel that pain for sure. Yeah. Uh oh, our dynastic empire is experiencing some genetic drift. We'll be right back. Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Our coverage of Hot D, Fire and Blood, and the 1980s Shogun miniseries continues. But then on Tuesday, for the first time in 35 years, we asked a question. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Hop aboard the train to Toontown as we revisit this incredible blending of live action and animation to see if it still holds up all this time later. Then on Wednesday, we get our first look at Blake Crouch's mind-bending sci-fi series, Dark Matter. The first two episodes drop simultaneously on Apple TV+, and we'll have a pair of podcasts quantumly linked ready for you to observe. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. We're about 10 weeks out from House of the Dragon Season 2, and it's time to prepare for war. Which in our case means, well, watching a lot of Hot D and reading a lot of Fire and Blood. Each week between now and June 16th, Maester Anthony and his co-host Steve are hosting a watch of each episode of Hot D Season 1. And then me and Jim are going to host a discussion of the differences between the events on that episode and how they're recounted in George R. R. Martin's historical tome, Fire and Blood. That's right, I've resorted to reading dragon books. God help us all. We'll see if my fresh eyes add any new insights or predictions into season two. Arm yourselves with all the lore you can for the battles ahead. House of the Dragon returns June 16th, but we've got you covered until then. Check out all of our upcoming Hot D coverage on the Hot D feed or on Bald Move Pulp, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Algorithm says the podcast will continue. Welcome back to Foundation. All right, let's go over to the Spacers, who are not happy to see Hober and want to kill him until he shows them some opalesque, which is a substance that they're dependent on to survive, and it's also tightly controlled by the Empire. He says that Harry Selden can actually synthesize this stuff, which they thought was impossible, and he shows them that his ship doesn't require spacers to operate and asked him to ponder the consequences of that if Empire suddenly didn't need spacers anymore. And all they need to do for the Opalisk, uh, all the Opalisk they could ever want, is to help Foundation kick Empire in the nuts. Yeah, I think that uh, it's such a heady idea, the idea that a, like a truly spacefaring civilization would have no preference even to be in a galaxy. Like... Do you understand? I mean, do you understand? Say, like say when what? we're talking about going, because she, they're, they said that their desire was to sail past the galaxy into the ocean oh. of the universe. Yes, yes. I can think, I can count on one finger the amount of sci-fi universes that consider extra galactic travel, and it's the E.N.M. Banks culture series. Uh, okay. Because it's a crazy fucking idea uh-huh. for almost anything else. Like, you think it's far between stars? You talk about intergalactic distances and distance mm-hmm. between galactic clusters. But that's what this this, this species uh, 
um, ambition is. It almost feels like that's kind of what they were created for. And they're, they were mm-hmm. created to do this, but they can't realize their purpose because they're shackled by this empire. So it's a, it's a fascinating concept. And I don't know, again, I don't know exactly how rigorously they do the math. I know they have science advisors and, but then sometimes they have planets orbiting each other within each other's atmosphere. I got the idea that these spacers, you know, when, when, when bell and, and, uh, uh, are on their bridge and they're like, Oh, we're not coming to them. They're coming to us. And they just immediately appear. Mm hmm. I almost they feel like the spacer's travel is damn near instantaneously. And I don't think yeah. all jump travel is like that because Gale woke up during one. So, like, there's, like, it, it's right. a probably quick minutes, mm-hmm. hours, days. But it's not instantaneous. This shit seems like it's instantaneous unless just happened to be hanging out around Bel Rios's fleet. Yeah, that's interesting as another wrinkle in like what does the empire control here because they they clearly you know control the spacers through this opalesque um but the empire doesn't have the ability to travel instantaneously so if the spacers do they're withholding that from empire does empire i mean it's clear that that they not use the same technology because like visually Uh uh-huh does Empire know that they're withholding that ability? And would That's... they be pissed off if they did? Yeah, I, I have so many questions about the home swarm, how they track yeah. it, how often it stays uh-huh. in the real space versus hyperspace. Like, how do they collect the top? I guess they don't They don't collect it. They show up probably for their opalesque, and that's when they, they sting them for the 10%. Uh-huh. I would assume so. How do they keep track um... of the 10%? How do they say, we know how many births or whatever it's a lot of have un... happened? There's a lot of unhappy she with probes up her vaginas uh, with a lot of Imperial doctors doing some apparently doing some, some invasive stuff, probably. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I have a lot of questions around it, but it's fascinating. It's not it's not bad questions, right? It's all. Yeah. And how does this stuff work? It's cool. Yeah. 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 That spacers are just a fucking in just, just just a really cool concept. And even dealing with this grandiose. Entity. Uh, over is still over, right? He's like, yeah. no, 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 breathe it, eat it, whatever you guys do with it, right? Uh, and, and talking about helping us kick Empire the nuts, it's so good. And it's like you know, like she's this is a balance changer because she's like, you know, what's he going to do? What's he going to do when? What's Empire going to do with you when you don't need us or he doesn't need you anymore? It's like, but he does need us. He's like, well, look at our ship. Um, uh huh. Yeah, yeah, I. It's a it, threat, the, the, but the risk is very high. I mean, all all of the factors the here are well balanced. I would say it. I, the only criticism I'd have, and it's a very slight criticism, I don't even know it's a valid one, is that she who is centered, I thought, would spend a little bit more time before she just goes and calls the cops. You know, like this is such a big thing. Uh-huh. It's felt a little impetuous, but well, she's made her judgment, and it's time to act. I guess. Like I, 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 I uh, yeah, but it's like whatever. That's pretty. Here, here's what I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's one thing to say, mm, "This is a big risk. We don't want to upset the status quo." Uh, in in search of freedom, it's an entirely different thing if Empire is directly ordering you to destroy the source of your potential freedom. Because mm-hmm. what's going to happen here is he's going to use the spacers to attack. Mm-hmm foundation 
yeah. they know the foundation has the ability to set them free. Are they willing to cut that lifeline? No, it is it is it is interesting. And to the other point of like why she snapped judgment, I think you can make an argument that every second she considered his offer was one second the empire would hold against her. And clearly that happened sure. because like even though within seconds, like what, within 2 minutes of being informed of the offer, she called the cops essentially. Uh-huh. Empire still first question is are the spacers against us now? Yeah. Were they tempted? So like even the temptation sh- being out there is a threat. Yeah. Yeah, it's a val it's a valid fear. Yeah, it's exciting. You see how brittle that makes people, right? Like it's like the amount of control you have, like where Bell's talking about, you know, weighing the cost of defiance versus not. That's a very that's a very strong hold, but it's very brittle because all you need is a few Mm -hmm. key people at key moments to be like, you know what, fuck this, and the whole thing crumbles down. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, tithing members of your family essentially. You know, th- this is this is the Game of Thrones thing, right? Where like they, or the medieval thing, where they would have uh, uh, what's the t- I played so much Crusader Kings three, and now I can't think of the term. Uh, <laughs> where where you offer up a child to another house in order to secure a relationship, hostage and ward. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's basically is the hostage is what I'm getting at. There's this implied threat that if that alliance ever breaks down and you ever try and fuck us, we have your child. And it's it's a you know th- this is a strong control mechanism for sure. Is mm-hmm. is she a center going to want to attack a military that includes she bends light? I True. don't know. It's it's an extra wrinkle in the calculus, you know. Damn, yeah, that's a, that's I didn't even see that that angle. Uh, what is the term for that, man? Isn't it ward? Award, yes, okay. yes. Thank you. Not a hostage. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's move over to Belle and Glewen seeing the announcement from Day about ending the dynasty. And then She Bends Light calls them to review her findings from the Sawena footage. The Home Swarm refuses Hober's offer because it's too risky and then connects with She Bends to say they have the Whisper ship and then they they jump the Home Swarm there to where Belle's ship is. Yeah, and again, this thing just boiling out of the singularity is fucking jaw dropping every time it happens. Uh huh. Um, I mean, this instantaneous I, uh, communication you you talked about a minute ago is another incredibly valuable thing I think that they offer, and they've kept from the Empire, right? Like the abilities that they are displaying like, like, here that they are not sharing are wild. Because they talked about how in their previous episode, the one spacer, the constant was talking about, was talking about how they have continued to perfect and refine the genetic engineering. Who knows what host of abilities that they have added to themselves mm-hmm. without the Empire knowing? Because again, yeah. this, is the, this is the brittle nature of the control, you know? Uh, totally. Yeah, it's 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 good stuff, and I like how they're setting up Bell and Glaywin here, where it's like you know the central thing where Glaywin's just afraid that Bell is going to be lost to the Empire. You know, he's going to be and he's reading this book, right? He's that's all about you know essentially just war philosophy and whatnot, and Mm -hmm. and that's going to play into a later scene here, which is really good between the two. It's amazing, yeah, yeah. And then the sighted ask Gail about the mule that she keeps thinking about. And she explains that she sees the future through her power and through psychohistory and delivers an impassioned speech imploring 
all of the sighted to stop hiding so they can gather more sighted in preparation to fight the mule in 152 years. Uh, seems like thought- this is what Tellum was hoping Gale would do. You know, take the reins here, start to work her way into the hearts and minds, literally. Uh, well, interesting that Gale did it sighting. tentatively. She, like, looked to Tellum first, and Tellum put on her, mm-hmm. go on, my child, face, and, and then Tellum gave her permission looking over to, to Laloran or whoever she looks at in this scene. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good. It's It's a good speech. Um, it also makes like uh, this seems like it's her theory. I don't know if it's something that Tellum told her, but like the idea that like as the ga- as the empire begins to fall, and it seems like this is something Bell agrees with too. There's more and more pain, more and more chaos, more and more of these psychic screams, and that psychic pressure is pushing the sighted people to form together. You know, that's mm-hmm. why there's sudden like uh, there's a sudden spike of their numbers. Um, and she's saying that we should intensify that. We, you know, this 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 mule is not a uh, inescapable future. It just means that we need to nudge, we need to mend things, we need to prepare. And she's advocating to stop hiding and boldly go out and say that we're sighted, so we draw more and more to our army, and we'll just be strong. We'll be ready for the mule. Be so, so much stronger. Yeah. Um. And I love the juxtaposition of like, well, we just need foresight, planning, and belief. And they cut over to Salvor who is not on board with any of this. Uh. Which is kind of ironic because I think certainly in part, this is to avoid the future where Salvor is dead. That is why Gale is kind of stepping up in this moment. It's also about the sighted and it's also about, mm-hmm. you know, securing no, it's... A, a positive future for everyone, but it's maybe not primarily, but in, in good portion... I think they're suggesting that Salvor's worried that it's primarily that she's mortgaging the whole future on to try and save a her. desperate Hail Mary gambit to save Salvor at the expense of the foundation project. Which she might I think she might, might believe be right. in more than Gail even does. Yeah. Yeah. Because she had well, a whole other like generation of indoctrination. Yeah, yeah. She yeah, didn't know anything before. It's the life she was born into. Whereas Gail was actively fighting it earlier, so she's not right. as invested. I yeah, felt like she got hijacked. Regrets about whether she ever met Harry. Like you know, Salvador doesn't have any of those. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. At least Salvor is worried that it's primarily for for her benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're gonna go over to back to Shea Center, who turns Hober over to Bell and Glaywin. They want him to show them how the Whisper Ship works, so he goes over to it. He pops open the door. And out comes Becky to rampage on their asses. Uh, (laughs) He calls Becky back to the ship just in time to make his escape. And he is so close when he jumps to to this ship that they think it's going to destroy their ship. But somehow it doesn't. It should have. It just doesn't. Just gave him a trans-dimensional glitter bomb. (laughs) Yeah, it's a cool effect. It is a cool effect. It's actually blown back and... Um. Did you did you start thinking space psychosis? Oh no! Huh? Like they're you know because like that's like humans are not allowed within the singularity because it fucks yeah. up their shit and <laughs> that's a technical term. And uh, <laughs> I they're right on the edge, and I wonder if they're going to play with the idea that this is going to have an effect on ba- uh, Bell or Glaywin. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I hadn't even considered it. I, I sometimes I wonder like if Gale waking up was intentional to you know there wasn't one of her theories to kind of awaken her psychic abilities. 
or was just her waking uh, up in indication to us that she has psychic abilities because the space are like what the fuck you can't do this mm-hmm. go back to sleep it might have been the latter yeah um but we find out that I, she is center is also Sheben's light's mother which is i think important yeah because it does show like they have a, a genuine like connection there is this this cost this tithe does wound yep. the you know like like it like it would yeah take 10 percent of your children what the fuck yeah and she's personally invested in it. it's not just you know an abstract somebody else's children it's that the seem, seeming leader of the home swarm has personal investment here yeah yeah and i gotta say when i'm seeing these spacers i was thinking like i don't know how much of this is casting and how much of this is cg but like oh man if the expanse could have done this with all the belters oh yeah it's the only thing i can think of to make it like easily better like if you could have these like otherworldly space they've been so cool but uh i mean obviously they wouldn't be glowing and have half of their body mass missing but like just the the stretched out of this of it again i don't know if this is natural um, or if they're digitally altering these these people to make them look a little bit taller and willowier, but they look incredible. It's a convincing yeah. effect. Uh, and also Becky, I've been wondering this whole time, like why the fuck with <laughs> why Becky? Why Beck? Why would you do this? Why? But like as soon as he said, uh, just something you should know about these whisper ships. They have this crazy defense system, and yeah, it is badass. <laughs> yeah. And then right but, when it looks like it's going to rip Glaywin's face off, you hear it's like, good girl, Becky, come on. It's like, you know. Yeah, he can't let Constance's pet stay here, right? Yeah. I yeah, was worried that it might get back. I was worried that Becky might die. I was actually kind mm-hmm. of genuinely concerned for her. Yeah, me too. Also, what right, a name. Bell. What a name for this fucking thing, Becky. Becky, yeah. Oh, my God, Becky. Look at this thing's claws. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bell reports back to Day and Demerzel what he just saw the Whisper Ship do, uh, and that Hober tried to tempt the spacers with promises of freedom. Bell thinks they're preparing for war because of all this. Day wonders if they hired the assassins, and Bell asks him, "What are my orders now?" But they cut the transmission before giving him any. Really frustrates Bell. He's Here's trying to be the dutiful soldier. This kills me about Empire. Um, so- they, they, I think it's Bell who says this. Uh, he says Hober's from Smyr- Smyrno, and therefore he must be speaking for the entirety of Smyrno in his reactions. It's like you're gonna hold, and we are as a human here on Earth. We are so fucked if everybody did this when they met us. Be like, oh yeah, the first person, every single person speaks for Earth. No, no, it's not true. There's so many diverse opinions and peoples and True. thinkings down here that you really need to take each one as individual. Although, if I push back, in 10,000 mm. years, if we are in a, a galaxy-spanning civilization, I do wonder if planets will become a little bit more... What's that word? Provincial? Like, you know, like, it's sure. like, yeah, you, you have difference of opinions, but, like, there are certain things that, like, all New Yorkers kind of agree on, or there's a certain effect, or, like, people from <laughs> Dallas, L.A., right? Like, I could see a planet being so homogenous and travel so efficient and communication so ubiquitous that after 10, like, all of the differences, regional differences just disappear. And, like, you might have difference between planets and sectors, but, like... Yeah, but 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 still, maybe it's Hober himself. Here, maybe 
that he's so far off the map of like he, he's so far off the map of like what I would do in any given situation that I'm like I wouldn't want him speaking for me if, if he came from earth no what? his actions well, yeah. don't reflect my thinking what if Smyrna is like a Han Solo <laughs> planet where everyone's just dashing rogues yes okay there we go <laughs> that's their culture whole planet of hobers I don't know if uh-huh. the show can handle hober world <laughs> Overworld coming soon to to Delos Entertainment. <laughs> uh, all right. This is this is big, but we're gonna get to kind of some of the follow on effects from that scene. So let's keep mm-hmm. going. Um, here's the big one. Here's here's a good scene. Uh, Glaywin thinks that they should do something. Um, now they don't have orders. Bell's very reluctant to not just disregard the orders of empire a second time, but act without orders. Cause that could be perceived the wrong way. Uh, and he lays out a scenario where, okay, what do you want to do? Glaywin? you want to take down the entire empire. All right, well, let's think about that. Where does that end? It ends in misery for trillions of people. And I have thought this through and Glaywin appreciates that he's at least happy to hear that the bell that he knows is still in there. He still cares and he's thought through he has a rationale that he's operating under yeah and i like the way this is filmed like as a as a physical contest or a sword fight like it in like the princess bride where these fighters are like go ranging all over like they're they're striding across like bell tries to get away from glaywin and glaywin you know can forces the intimacy and instead of it being they've they're locked in struggle but they end in like uh some kind of synergy rather than vanquishment you know like Glaywin sure. understands he's where sent away. he's drawn in yeah yeah but it's like one of those things where it's like you can easily see both sides of this um yeah. that's that's this uh this authoritarian this like what is what was that the phrase that um Pablo Escobar used the like Plato oh uh, uh plomo or Plato yeah like yeah, the silver the letter yes like that's such like because who's going to be the first municipal government official to be like I'll take the lead please yeah. but the second you find a motherfucker with a spine that can your whole shit's up man so and, and what are the you know what's the fallout of that and that's the thing that that Bell is really considering here what is the fallout if we do succeed beyond our wildest expectations in attaining our goal because I think Bell wants to be some component of the Empire's downfall Mm-hmm. Uh, or at least the Cleon's downfall, I would mm-hmm. say. But he knows the consequences of that. Without order, you know, you get the 30,000 years of hell that Harry's been predicting. And there's a lot of truth here. Like, when you're inside an empire, it seems like, you know, the temptations to think that everything outside it is barbarism. Because there probably is a fair amount of barbarism that the empire's order prevents. It's a very similar to the Maximilian speech in, like, Gladiator where he's like, I've seen the rest of the world. It's brutish and crude and dark. Rome is the light. You know, like that's that's mm-hmm. Bell's uh, uh, opinion on, on things. And you can understand where he, where he, he comes from that. Yeah. Um, but do you also see things like the foundation where it's like it doesn't have to be that way? Sure. And of course, you know, there's an open question where the foundation is an authoritarian regime at this point. Um, and the li- other side li- of the empire's order is it's it's suffering that's causing. Right. Right, the fact that they're inflexible and they're not able to respond to people's needs, and so cruel. they are cruel, uniquely cruel. And Bell knows that. That's so so funny. Mm-hmm. It's like you hear this guy 
like talking about these, but like you yourself have had experienced unimaginable cruelty and you know, you can, you know enough to imagine more cruelty that would come your way. Um, yeah. So it's just like, yeah, it's like, what do you do? And and it's, I, I thought it was kind of interesting that Glaywin seemed to be like, well, what about this foundation? Maybe we should give them a chance. I was surprised that Glaywin didn't go with like you, you are the new emperor bell. And I, <laughs> Don't know whether they're going, whether they'll eventually get there, or this will be a tragic Glaywin has to throw himself in front of some maniacal bell to save the mm-hmm. galaxy kind of gesture. Yeah, it could go either way. Um, I do wonder if Bell would want that responsibility and that that level of involvement. Did we talk about this? The bell want the, uh, I find it hard to believe the guy that gave the speech that I'm the only one that stands between me and the suffering of the galaxy doesn't at least think he might do a better job. Sure. Especially sure. if his 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 best friend, lover, and co combatant are pumping or gassing him up. Yeah. I, I was I don't know if we've talked about this, but this is something I heard off the official podcast that when they cast the actor and I don't have this in front of me, Bell Rios that who they got for Glaywin, uh, they had just gotten with the long-running production. I wasn't sure if it was a stage show or if it was a series where they played lovers. So they oh, have really? like they, they so have like years worth of built-in chemistry that they can call on. And it's really like these are some touching scenes. Like nice. You know, like Bell like laying it all on the line to get Glaywin to understand and then the horror of like, oh God, I've made you <laughs> you know it's like it's like, well now we're scared scared together. And Bell's like, shit, that's not it's not what you really want for your loved one, but at least you're on the same page. Sure. It, it, it's it's good. It's good stuff. It's uh, Ben Daniels playing Bell and Dino Fetcher playing Glaywin. Thank you. Give them give them some credit because they're doing some great work here in this scene. I'm really impressed. They really are. I can see not, Bell as an not emperor. that they haven't before, but hmm? I can see Bell as an interesting emperor. To, to if you wanted okay. to do with like an empire and civil war plot for next season, and he's like a mm-hmm. main antagonist, protagonist, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely has a strong ethical core, which I think could be something I would value in an emperor. Yeah. But I don't know. We'll see. All right. Day meets with Sarath to tell her that he values her charisma with the public. And she decides now is a good time to talk about her family. She's fishing. And she tells him how kind and good all her dead family members were and how young and innocent the baby boy was. And he sees what she's doing here and tells her, none of this is required. The only thing that I require of you is to say thank you for the opportunity that I'm presenting you with. Uh, And then on the verge of tears, she leaves and tells her handman to get her a meeting with Dawn in private. Is this the same garden? Is it? Is this the garden First, that Day brings his young women to just destroy their their hopes and dreams? Dude, first thing I thought is this is the place where he just he murdered a woman's entire social circle, including her family. Yeah, he raced her, wiped her from the face of history. It was and left her nothing but individual torment. The, it's such an amazing thing they've done here with this setting because I'm immediately tensed up just seeing uh-huh. this little pool and the bench in the middle. Yeah. If you had, so on a scale from Gossamer court to what would you call this? Is this the obsidian garden? Like sure. The, 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 the steel reflection pool. Like I, it's nothing uh-huh. Gossamer about it though. Uh, but, but yeah, it's cool. Cause like 
there is something that's attracted to her. He sees that she's got the genuine goods, the thing that he spent a lifetime and 17 layers of genetic dynasty to uh, uh, to try to ape mm-hmm. poorly. Um, she just, it comes natural to her. And he is, he does admire that. He's like, I, 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 I think it's a surprise to him that he sees her. He is kind of seeing her as an equal, as a, as a worthy partner. Yeah, and, he wants to, he really wants to. And she blows it up. It's also, I think it's a nice little piece of writing that, uh, they gave the Sarah here that, you know, it's a very brief sketch of her family, but vivid. Like, I feel like yeah. I know her family members a lot better than I did before. And that's just with a sentence of color. And it's, it's pretty archetypal stuff. A brother yeah, it's the, humanizing them, you know? Yeah. You got the, these, the brothers, the war hero and the father's the, the patient, the patient teacher and the mother's the, you know, seems aloof, but devoted to her children. And it's, it, it and, uh, it's, um, it does double damage to day because he knows he doesn't have that in his, he doesn't have a family like that sure none of these virtues that she has acquired like flowers out of a garden of her family and and have have, have put in her own her own her own breast as as uh to to, to keep uh he's got none of that shit he's just like aping a, a ghost from hundreds of years ago and that's that's another reason why this scene is so good is because day doesn't have that this this is a perfectly tailored heartstring pulling uh discussion on someone who has the lived experience that you know sarah does or that mm-hmm. i do or you do and, and mm-hmm. us as humans with with these reasonable feelings for other humans they doesn't have that <laughs> this is the miscalculation in this she she's giving away as much information i think as she's giving here uh, or she's getting here, right? She's confirming, did they personally have anything to do with the murder of my family? Getting everything from him that says yes. But all of this stuff that she's trying to do to to pull at him and, and push him in a different direction is like completely brick-walled here. It just smashes straight into the sociopathy of mm-hmm. this day. And it's the, the line here you are here by some uncanny combination of good fortune and my grace. And all that is required is that you say, thank you. You say, I am grateful. And the way Lee Pace delivers this line and the, and the, who, who is playing Sarah? I have to look all this stuff up. Uh, The way that she responds to Ella Ray Smith responds to it is just it's perfect it's perfect you realize that you have reached an impasse between the two that is unresolvable yeah i think the day might be making a mistake here is like well you might have heroics and valor and patience and kindness and humility but i'm fucking ruthless baby Uh uh-huh i think that's a mistake a lot of tyrants make that decent people can't get to the bottom can't 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 be every bit of a vicious fighter for survival like that's the that's sure. mistake of authoritarian regimes uh going against uh so-called softer cultures time and time again and like from the next yeah. scene it's, it's like where she's talking about that connection that that powers them and when she gives that bloodless coup speech you can see she's every bit as ruthless yes but a lot it, more directed and scalpel like in the in the lack of ruth that she <laughs> that she displays 
yeah it doesn't shut her down it pushes her to go around you i mean the the, the thing she's about yeah. to do is an end run around the stone wall that she just hit you know she's yep. not gonna give up she's just gonna find another way and the thing I, I got, because I, I watched this a couple times, and I think that, like, with the overwhelming feeling Day was feeling here was shame. Like, she was shaming him with yes. what he did just to get this opportunity and what he took away. And that echoes back to what Rue says, the one thing you can't do to a man who simultaneously doesn't see you as a threat, but also is, you know, uh, uh, amused with you, is you can't embarrass him or make him feel... You can't humiliate mm-hmm. him. And you can see instantly that's... That's and she's when done it. The... She, she's done it in public now, and now in person, privately, emotionally. But it's this is the most direct attack on like you're a mon, you're a fucking yep. monster. You disgust me. Like it's been and kind of playful. Like say, maybe yes, I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hell yeah. of a response day. <laughs> it sure is. You have correctly judged me. What are you going to do about it? Uh, so yeah, then then the end run here is Dawn and Sarath meet secretly. She tells him that Day and Demerzel killed her family, and uh, tells him how different he is from his brother. Um, asks if she can have his baby instead, and spends a couple minutes seducing him with the concepts of sex and legacy. And they kiss. This is, I, I guess, a yes from Dawn. Hmm. I want to head off some feedback because I think there might be a couple people are tempted to be like, oh, the face scramblers, if they're that shitty, they stop working randomly and fade in and out. I no, think you're supposed that's to not what's happening here. Yeah, I think you're supposed to understand that this is like the scene in Red October where Sean Connery's speaking Russian and it zooms uh-huh. in on his lips and then he starts speaking English and zooms out. It's like <laughs> probably just saving budget. <laughs> yeah, uh, instead of, he hasn't you know, just learned like, English in that moment, right? He's now we're just understanding yeah. what he's saying when he's speaking Russian. Yeah, it's like it's it's like you, you you're supposed to understand that inside the field, may or or maybe just just so we can identify it and you can actually have the actors that you paid a bunch of money emote their scenes. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, I think everyone else looking at them is seeing the the doubles. So it's not malfunctioning technology like the Predators cloak with damage. It's just it's a filmmaking technique. So that, for sure, that, that's I, I'm glad we're both aligned on that. Here's um, one thing with that. When he talk, starts talking about the Cleons and, and in mm-hmm. first-person terms here, mm-hmm. uh, somebody's walking past them in mm-hmm. the cloak. In some, I'm not yeah, sure that that's and, not a spy down here in the Oculi-free zone. Yeah, and you wonder... Yeah, because like how like what if what if they make sure they tell all seventeen year old emperors that just so they know where they can go the plot so that they can <laughs> extra listen to it. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. There's a lot going on here. I'm not. I wondered that myself, but I also thought that like the facial scanners probably disguise their voice. Um. But he does say in Cleonic, he, yeah. yeah. He's saying it in like first person terms here. He's I even not thought saying... the dude that saw them kind of looked at him funny, but it might just uh-huh. be that they're not these aren't these people are strange faces or he doesn't. I, I don't. I don't. Maybe know I'm enough just about... biased because I I watched the latest episode of Justified City Primeval, mm. and that has a scene very similar in its uh, its characters judging people walking by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I so I'm thinking I'm, I'm just on alert for that stuff. But this is like this is a pitch that's aimed at every level of his being like the nascent ambition that probably all dons have to feel like uh, especially this like I I like this is that this is all of the characters and like the primes 
Like, this isn't a little boy. This is a, a day, the dawn that's like, what, 1920? You got the day that's in his late 40s, probably. And like, Dusk is not like decrepit, like he's about ready to become brother. But like, they're all at their most powerful versions of themselves. And you got to think that like, a, day, a dawn gets in his 20s and he starts thinking, yeah, I'm next, baby. So she's mm-hmm. appealing to his ambition. Like, you, you're going to be nobody. Don't you want to cast a shadow? It, she's appealing to his hormones. Like, wouldn't it be super fucking hot if you knocked me up before your brother could? And she's appealing to his like just just uh, his need to individuate, the like defy day. It's a compelling argument. Um, do you think it works? Do you think he's going to agree to it? I mean, the kiss says yes. Um, th- there were a couple of alarm bells ringing in my head. Um. Well, sure. This is dangerous. This is all so fucking. Well, dangerous. it's it's not that. It's around, it's around. I, I guess the writing in this scene. I'm because I'm mm. remembering what Dusk was saying about memory. Um, when they discover, you know, that memories may have been altered, he says, you know, what young men when you get old enough, you stop worrying about what you remember and worry about how you remembered. And a large portion of her pitch here to this young man. It's about legacy. And I feel like that would work strongly on Dusk, but I don't know that it works as strongly on Dawn. Now she has the one-two punch of, hey, we could bang, and that would be awesome. And so I think like that works on the young man pretty damn effectively. Hell, it might work on Dusk too, judging by what I've seen of him. But that combined with her her discussion of like, she really stresses, oh, you could, you, your seed could be the one true heir. And yeah. it hits on that legacy thing, right? And how would they Whereas, even know you're genetically identical? Which I don't even know is true, but <laughs> well, well, the, the idea of one true heir I think is faulty here. It's not. It's not. Look, they they had this discussion earlier on. They were saying, you know, what you're giving up so much in the security of the clone dynasty. How do you? How are you guaranteeing that you perpetuate your dynasty? And Day is like, we'll have a million kids. You know, we can do it with a whole bunch of children. What's that firstborn, unless they're going to do some kind of really crazy way of succession, that firstborn will probably sit the throne if he lives. Sure. And he will be the one true heir as long as he lives. And that's that's what I... That, See, that's this, is where Day, that, this is where Day closes. He, he makes sure he snaps the firstborn's neck. Because that could have been one of the other brothers. True. Yeah. But now we got the eggs in the lab, and I'm going to guarantee, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I was feeling the weight of previous conversations going is this actually going to work on day um and does this make sense with everything i know about the arrangement thus far Mm. and and i mean so so a lot of this all of this is couched in i'm trying to put up the best possible case to dawn to to go through with this and so a lot of what she's saying can't be taken at face value she knows She's going to have a bunch of children, right? But that first one, if you can get in there in time, that'll be the one true heir. Don't think about the other seven and the danger that the one true heir would have hanging over his head at all times. But it'd be almost be like a secret, like only her and Day would uh-huh. know or only her and Dawn would know. But yeah, it's like what something I, that might make it into history books. So it's like something that she whispers to the kid as she dies. I don't know. It'd be, mm-hmm. it'd be fascinating to see it play out, which we might. We might start come back next season and we see these fucking brats on the throne with the old ass, you know. And it makes sense in the in the way that like Don has to have been thinking about 
the loss that he's going to suffer if this marriage mm-hmm. goes through because he's losing his opportunity to be a part of this legacy and then losing the opportunity to rule. Um, but through a child, he might find some, you know, sec- I guess second best sort of thing here. Yeah, it's probably smart that they're keeping this kind of like loosey goosey, but like I'm always hungry for more world building. Like, how is this new empire going to work? Because I noticed that Day thinks there's going to be four thrones on the dais. So, like, what happened? Like, so what? Does, does Dusk die and then there's three? And then you die and there's two? And like, what? You just keep with, removing a throne? Yeah. He's got to wait, let those brothers live out their natural lives. Because, like I said, Dawn especially is a, is a, is a threat. Like, you know, we talked about this mm-hmm. um, a lot. Of th- a lot. So, yeah, I, I, I wish I knew how they intended the brothers, but maybe they're, that's a little sinister. The reason that there isn't a obvious thing for them to do is because Day's planning on eliminating them. And I could see him doing that. He seems to kind of yeah. like hate his other brothers. Yeah, they're definitely not the one man that the first Cleon would want them to be. Yeah, and they but those guys strike me as for whatever reason more Cleon than him. He's had to have a lot of work uh-huh. done, and he's the yeah, yeah. Except for those scenes where he has to tell somebody, "You exist by my grace." Say thank you. <laughs> that feels very Cleon to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, let's go over to Constant and Polly. They get taken before the Cleons. Polly begins his sales pitch which amuses Day. He accused them, accuses them of offering peace while fomenting rebellion. And Constant turn, then turns into Harry and tells Day that they've come to offer peace because they know that if there were war, Foundation would win. And Day says his predictions are out of date because the Cleonic dynasty is ending. And then he orders Terminus be sacked and their technology taken. And Polly and Constant are taken away couple Ooh. things up front did you check did you did you check out brother constance cot stance how next level her laying down on a cot game is i didn't i didn't notice is it anything like day laying on a bed trying to impress no, it's, someone no it's like if some someone said to this woman i need you to have the lowest energy most bored position a human body can take <laughs> Like I, I want to look like I've I filled your your uh, like a liquid measuring glass with your body and I just poured it out onto the cot like a skillet. It's it's a hilarious. It's like some kind of froggy style. It's it's wild. Uh, so that's number one. So one of this, if people want to go check out the the funniest way a human being can lay on a cot. Second, how about Day's new armor? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Goyer kind of um, prepped us for this, but it's a it's a noticeably darker color. It's much okay. more medieval, and that there's like some chain golden chainmail. Um, uh, there's like yeah, just a little bit more obviously less ceremonially militant. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a divergence from the clones, right? Right, because they still got divergence the, in the uh, dynasty. Yeah, they still have their 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 regular things that looked like to me. Yeah, that's uh, cool. I mean, this is a great another great sparring situation. Yeah, uh, I love how Polly was working it when you know uh, they're talking about absurd. You're an imperial outpost, your property, not a partner. And he's like, oh, such similar words, property partner. Um, yeah, what they doesn't account for here is the unreliable nature of Harry's comments because Harry has intentionally lied to people in the past to get them to do what he wants. I'm 
to, to assert that, oh, Harry's predictions are out of date and useless because the Cleonic dynasty is changing is, if you knew Harry on the face of it, ridiculous. But you can see how Empire would say that because like, you uh-huh. know, uh, this guy studied up Harry and he said, you can't ever change. And this is a fatal flaw, your dynasty. And, and, Cleon, and Cleon's like, I'm fixing it. I'm doing exactly what you said might ha- put the brakes on it. And... You know, Harry's like, nah, fuck you. We got we got jump ships and weapons and Well, he doesn't um, know the the Harry that's a an obvious liar either, right? right. Like the, the Harry the Harry that he's studying is the guy who has had a strong and outspoken belief in psychohistory in the way that he predicts it, and he said that this thing is going to happen. But then he's lied to his own people in order to get them to do the things they want, and he doesn't know that Harry. Well, so like, is that a weakness? The fact that he didn't tell Polly, or is it he the effect of Polly reeling from the cross purposes that they set out? Because like now we understand what that meant by cross purpose: suing mm-hmm. for Pete, suing for uh, a non-aggression pact, or no, an aggression pact, a kicking the nuts empire pact with their number yeah. one linchpin trading partner. Obvious prelude to an act of war. Um, oh, versus yeah. suing for peace and diplomatic rep. So it's like that, like made sense, but like. It feels like Empire used this as a way to stunt of be like, you know, look at how you are manipulated and you keep your elder in the dark and you manipulate women. And it feels to me like this is something that Harry wanted to happen. That's the thing. I, I look at all of his plans crumbling on the face of it and I go, what does he have up his sleeve? Because I know he's got something. Yeah. And we we talked last week about, you know, the strengths of showing versus telling and how like you know the show is very there's two insets here one that i felt was vital and one that i want to talk about the one was this shot where just as uh harry's about to pop out a constant they show harry kissing her head i think that's pretty necessary because i think a lot of people would be like what the fuck is happening had they not reminded them of like some you know we don't know Some what the kiss physical did, interaction. but it's something. It, yeah. That, that's what I was asking earlier. Like, what is the mechanism here? But it's, mm-hmm. you know, indistinguishable from magic, so I don't know. Right. He's inserting something into her head or whatever. Um, what did you think about the insets of Dusk when he goes, you're keeping your elders in the dark and you're manipulating women and they go, they pan from dark to Dimmerzel, these inset shots. Do you think that... Hmm added i I, because i was curious again this is not a huge criticism but i I wondered how that would play if you didn't and just let people come to those conclusions because that's the thing it's like in trying to lay bare harry's hypocrisy day is is essentially pointing the the, all three fingers back at himself right there's that rich context here i i like it um i i will be honest i kind of needed those things in this scene Okay. I definitely, the kiss, I think, would be a lot of head scratching mm-hmm. without it. There'd be a lot of how the hell, but like that, at least, we don't know how the hell, but like it somehow grounds it enough that like it's fine. But I, yeah, and I, I think I agree with you. I like the pan to a Terrace's face and, and the Bryn's face, but, um, there's mm-hmm. a burn. God damn it. Reaction shots are dyslexia. super important. They, it they is. Give so much context without so I, I, actually having to say it. Yeah, yeah, and it's a weird of where things are both simultaneously showing and telling you. Uh, it's not an either, it's not an or, it's an and. Yeah, but sometimes they're telling different things when they're showing. You know, it's yeah. it's 
Yeah, I like it. Um, and Day describes his own behavior as a violation, essentially. I guess I want to talk about what could Harry's plan here be? Because I look at all the, the moving parts of it, right? He's sending he's sending out his missionaries to go and treat them for peace. And then he's also sending Hober out there to foment rebellion and try and take away a critical component of their military. And I, I wonder if he's thinking win-win on this with Hober. He, yeah. sends, he sends Hober out. And she, she a center just says, yep, okay, cool. Uh, Empire can't move. Empire is crippled. I mean, without jump ships, there's, there's no way to fight Foundation. It would take forever for them to reach Foundation with a military, let alone a military that's not, (laughs) that's going to be advanced enough to fight whatever Foundation is coming up with in the meantime. Um, and the other situation is they don't accept and then they force they they force this war that they are prepared for that they say they will win if it happens they're baiting them they're baiting them into war oh 100% they want they want to provoke a war a defensive war it's probably easier for them to win and ultimately they also want the moral high ground we didn't attack empire empire came for us we wanted peace but this the, sure. the two juxtaposed positions would make that impossible and what does but, what does empire do say well they tried to take away our spacers we tried to give them their freedom that's justice right. isn't that yeah. what you want you can see you how they could sell that you can see how they could start yeah. selling that yeah so I, I think it's it's yeah you could say it's it's a win it's a win win like if they get peace and that gives them even more chance to build up their power and subsume the empire if they go right to war then they have the moral high ground uh, they have superior technology and they have the defender advantage so come get it yeah I, it's an interesting strategy I think an effective one um, e- even in the face of like everything seems to be crumbling around Harry <laughs> yeah. And I also like to note about the the day goes back to some semi ancient knowledge about sending a thespian bearing a gift. Your prophets mm-hmm. put you in an ugly position. Like, yeah, that's that's how that's how everything's that's how the shit started sliding in the first place. Yeah, and Harry's not above putting people in ugly positions. Nope. But I think Costa can argue from any of them. <laughs> I'm actually shocked because I, as this was happening, I'm like, oh God, oh God, I killed Constant. I actually said this is the thing that might happen uh-huh. and I don't want it to happen. I, I was actually kind of surprised that she survived the Emperor Palpatining she got. Me too. Me too. Oh, I was looking forward to coming here and rubbing that failed theory in your face. Like, see, I told you, Constant, not, they're never going to see each other again because she's dead. Nope. Nope. She survived it somehow. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad we had strong emotions about that scene, both of us. <laughs> it's only by the good fortune and grace of Empire that she survived that encounter. <laughs> and you know what? I'm grateful. <laughs> All right, let's go over to Salvor, checking out the ship that returned, the, the boat that returned suspiciously to see where its logs say it went. Gail comes up, asks what she's doing. Salvor tells her, this boat went somewhere. I need to figure out where. And Gail tells her, it's not the time to start pulling threads. I've got I'm doing something here. Just trust me. Is it possible that Gale is actually Tenem in this scene? Oh, ho, ho. Yes, like, uh, it's certainly possible. 
It just like it's a it's 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 nothing that Gale hasn't said before. Though I would also be an interesting question to consider how many times Gale in this episode could have been to tell him. Let, let but me like, ask you this. This is a, this is the way more stronger and directive speech than she gave in the first episode. Now it could be just because she's more desperate to get Salver to fucking listen to her. But it also could be that you know because like doesn't tell him specifically say to specifically mention the idea of pulling threads when that's she, the that's where because yes. I, I, I was going to ask you this and that was going to be my hammer if you did and on the next one it's like isn't it interesting they both use the same phraseology yes tell a mind reader so you always have that but i thought true i i thought that was mm. something that they may be putting intentionally in there as as some evidence she she might have just read that out of Gail's mind because they don't use the filter in the next scene that you would expect, or, or sorry, in yes. the scene that you would expect if this were right. Tellum. That's that's the big, but and I don't know how consistent they've been on this. And again, this could right. be uh, Goyer's new stupidest thing the guys have ever said on the podcast edition. But <laughs> I I couldn't have well, especially when I heard her say yeah, he's the marking this. Line. He's writing this down for the next time he talks to us. Yeah, this is this is the one thread you can't pull. I'm like, that's such that's such a. And then the second yep. time I watched it, I just like, man. Gail is being really just shut the fuck up and get in line in a way that I guess I could buy, but also feels very flattering to tell them. Well, well, I guess that's the thing. Um, Assuming it's not tell them it's actually Gail. She's effectively saying I am trying to what take over decided. I'm trying to usurp it. I'm trying to save your life is what she's Mm. basically saying here. Right. And you're getting in the way of that. Yeah, but it could also be tell him. It could also be tell him. Uh, and then the final scene is Salvor. You know, being Salvor, can't get this off her mind. She can't sleep that night, so she goes out to the boat. This is classic Salvor patrolling. Can't sleep. Yep, I'm getting out there. Uh, she uses the boat to um to go to where it was the previous night, the navigation cache. And she arrives at the place where Harry was murdered and finds his body still shackled in the water. And then Tellum shows up, says, I'm sorry you saw this, and then turns off her mind, leaving her floating face down in the tide pool. I just composed a song that Tellum could sing okay. uh, based on Rolling Dirty. They see me floating, they hating, patrolling, trying to catch me drowning Harry. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I did, uh-huh. I heard less than half what you said because that was going on inside inside the cacophony of the my scene. mind. You, I was yeah, just recapping um, it, you know. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. She she goes, she finds Carrie's corpse. Uh, tell him says you pulled the unfortunate thread, and she essentially uh, she says un- unthinks her mind, and now she's un- yeah. unthi- <laughs> she's unbreathing oxygen, uh, face down in the water. So. Another thing I was flirting with when I was coming up with my notes is what if we are going to understand that Tellum's actually separated all three? She 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 split Harry off of the two, and then in this episode, and we didn't fully understand that until later when we saw Harry drowning in the pool. This episode, she splits Gale from Salvor, and every instance of Gale talking to Salvor is actually Tellum. Okay. I mean, that's absolutely a possibility. Or it happened at some point in this episode, because the only thing that's like I don't like about that is like 
Gale, I think, was pretty Gale in like when she was giving that speech to everybody. I mean, what do you make of Loran saying like she values your abilities much more than you think? And then this I don't happening. know because I don't understand what her abilities are that aren't just like a lesser version of Gales, like a backwards version of Gales. But maybe there's some kind of crazy judo that you can apply to that. Uh, yeah, I mean, here's the other thing. We so Salvor's not dead; she's just unminded, face down in the water. They can wade in there and grab her, and then you know preserve her abilities they don't have to kill her here right so is this like a threat like a this is your last warning like this is what i can do anytime but like just she a, goes a back to... and tells she goes back and tells gail that is gail still going to be pretty circumspect about well, trusting i mean you have to hold her now right you can't you can't let her have contact with gail if this is your option here you have to like break her first mm-hmm. um, or keep her split off and just psychically replace her with somebody else right which right. they can do even someone you know intimately like hugo there's a lot of possibilities. This doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, the 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 j- jumping the shark moment of deaths that Goyer was talking about in our interview. Yeah, um, I like I said, I was like one of the biggest evidence of this not being that is like he was so fucking confident, knowing we're going into this episode, right? Like, and I thought, and I, they've done this before I, and not killed any of them, right? They've they've un unthinked their minds and, and yeah, they just snap snapped them up and kept them in the palace or whatever. Yeah. Okay, so there's there's a lot of ways out of this, uh, but it's it's one of those things where I want to hit play next. I want to mm-hmm. just keep watching. So I think it's really effective. Yeah, that's the thing. Or we're, we're essentially in the same boat as y'all. We're just like time shifted one week in the future where we can't talk to anybody except each other about it. Right. Uh, so it uh, it's it's a lot of willpower. It turns out. Hmm. But that's uh, it for the episode. Yeah, that's, that's that's all I got. Uh, if you'd like to send feedback to Foundation, don't forget, we still have an opportunity to talk to David S. Goyer at the end of the season. He's uh, agreed to another wrap-up, so if everything goes smoothly with that, we should hap- uh, make that happen. If you are sending in that feedback, make sure you put in a, 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 the word Goyer, G-O-Y-E-R, in the subject line somewhere so I can find it uh, easily. You're listening to Foundation and Podcast. We'll be right back. Hey, it's time for another season of Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? The premise is simple. A Gen Xer and a millennial watch old 80s action TV to see what still works and what doesn't. In previous seasons, we've done podcasts for Knight Rider, Airwolf, MacGyver, A-Team, and more. However, this year we're doing a very special season of Feeney. We're going back and reviewing the very special episodes of 80s and 90s sitcoms. Come cringe along with us as Hollywood tries to warn our families of the dangers of underage smoking, drug abuse, alcoholism, eating disorders, and much more. We start out with the episode of Boy Meets World where a high school kid gets sucked into a cult. Worlds collide as the Mr. Feeney finally makes an appearance on Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? Join me and my buddy Jay each week for episodes full of nostalgia and secondhand embarrassment. And don't worry, a very special isn't your speed. We've also got some all-time classic Knight Rider episodes to close the season with. Find Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? each Wednesday on Bald Move Pulp starting April 3rd. And we're back. Respect and enjoy the podcast. 
First up with feedback is Craig from the UK. He says, one character I find uh, immensely unique and undefinable is Demerzel. I really can't quite get it if she's working for or against the Empire. Obviously, that's the hope of the writers, but come on. Most of the time, an audience can suss out who the bad from the good is. For example, you got Severus Snake. He's painted as a bad guy, but we all knew he was secretly good. I don't... Did we know that in the second or third? I, I'm sure. I'm trying to figure out when we knew that for sure. Probably the end of the third movie. Um, but Demerzel is an enigma. Enigma. I'm not sure if it's my personal bias, but I cannot shake the feeling she's working against the Empire. We are told she's been programmed to be loyal, and we're seeing her protecting Empire. But she's also shown to have some free will. She's having a religion she believes believes in, and I find it hard to believe you could happily serve an Empire that slaughtered your race and now keeps you in servitude. For such a long-lived entity, she may have found small ways she can manipulate events and people to finally bring down Empire. Also, the seemingly throwaway line that her consciousness is dispersed may not mean throughout her body, but in many other bodies. And those bodies don't have the same face, such as Calais, for example. Got a few people suggesting in feedback that Calais might be an AI. I don't know if the <laughs> timelines... I didn't know Calais was that ancient. I thought she was a couple thousand years ago, not like from the time when robots walked the earth, but, or I guess strode the galaxy. Um, what do you think about the, uh, what do you think about the contradictions that are Demerzel? Uh, I'm enjoying them. I think, yeah, that's a central question, right? The writers are definitely playing with that. Is she, and I wouldn't even say, is she good or bad, but where do her loyalties lie? Um, Cause like, let's remember the, Cleonic dynasty is not good it's mm -hmm. bad it always has been even from the start the very concept is offensive I think uh, so yeah th does she serve the empire or does she have her own agenda and I'm with you I think the show is shading it to she might have some kind of agenda of her own I think they're definitely in uh, kind of inserting that idea into viewers heads yeah, and the idea that she is like ultimately the executor of the will of Cleon the First, it seems. Um, mm -hmm. That's really interesting, and I really like what uh, Goyer said in the the episode we had with him, where you know it's like not that three laws don't exist, and they were even name checked in this episode, correct? Uh, yes, they were. Um, but like the robots can be reprogrammed. And mm -hmm. I wonder if some of the psychosis we've seen Demerzel face is the shoddy reprogramming of those systems. And there still is some conflict between those rules and the new one that is protect empire. Hmm. Um, or if yeah. like none of this is a thing and she's been like protecting empire is how she's interpreting what is sometimes called the zeroth law of, of, of Asimov's robots that they can't allow humanity in, in total to come to harm if they can't help it so mm -hmm. yeah yeah there's a there's I, like I said I'm not sure about the Calais theory but um, yeah like I said I my money is that she's not a bad or evil thing that she, if you understood the path she's been walking for 13,000 years you'd probably agree with it but I don't yeah. know yeah I don't know why I think that yeah, there, there's nothing to really say that. Um, but but I do, I do believe that they will, you know, they have an idea firmly in mind uh, for mm -hmm. her past and her motives, and 
they will in due time tell us what that is. So it's very much intentional. I'd be worried if, or I'd be more dismayed, I guess, with it if it didn't feel intentional, but everything they're doing with her feels very intentional. Yeah, and I got a lot of bot because, like, when I think of Asimov robots, I don't think of like bloody-minded, psychotic individuals. I usually think that sure. they're, you know, well-meaning, uh, congenial servants who are trying to do their best to serve us uh, filthy apes. You know, mm-hmm. so like uh, the, uh, having her just like doing something for her own glory or her own, like, I, I guess, uh, yeah. people would be a surprise to me but also would be a somewhat welcome one because i i wouldn't mind seeing robots being explored in that and in, in in that direction gotcha and as long as they are like you know again like uh it's not that dimmer's uh, it, it would be weirder for me if dimmerzel was doing things like killing people and just like completely nonchalant about it but obviously acting against her religious people that mean a lot to her religiously uh acting against the days and dawns of the world, acting against her own religious beliefs. These are all things that are causing her some cognitive distress, it appears. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steven says, there's one thing that I haven't really heard you guys dive into in season two, and that's Dimmerzel's religion. My theory is that Dimmerzel's mission changed after Day made her murder Halima. I think she knew that Day did have a vision or did not have a vision in the salt cave, and because of her religious beliefs, this led her to understand that the Cleons are not real people. So she set she set and plan a motion that would allow her to remove the Cleons and save the Empire while also exacting some measure of revenge. That's why she's able to so easily kill the defective Dawn last season. I also wonder if the supposed lack of a soul has something to do with the memory disparity between the real Cleons and the clones. What do you think about this? You think uh, she just has a moral revulsion to the Cleonic dynasty now? I'm trying to remember if she. Was there any reason to think? Did they just flat out say it? Maybe did Day like confess to her that he didn't have a vision? I can't remember how that all resolved. Didn't he exactly. copy hers down to the letter, and she yes. realized that he plagiarized flower, hers? Right. Yeah. 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 Okay, that's that's becoming more plausible as we talk about it. Um, because that would be they, fairly offensive to her. Um, but is that enough to rewrite? the rules right because she i mean the way she describes it now is that she was reprogrammed she used to serve the three laws now she serves empire um that must have happened i assume i assume when cleon the first you know well, commissioned do you, her do you on remember this thing in that like second or third episode of the first season where old ass cleon the first was reviewing like the final construction details of the space bridge and she was talking mm-hmm. about how the systems programmers are finishing their upgrades and we even at the time there you go wondered yeah. if they were talking about dimmerzel or the systems on the star bridge because it's very ambiguous and it seems like now it it's it seems like the latter that maybe this isn't an antiquity yeah. that her programming was altered but like more recently i think so that's that's the vibe i'm getting so does well, she maybe have it was altered capacity? at the end of the robot war by the empire and then it was altered at the beginning of the genetic dynasty to serve the personification of empire perhaps i'm curious well, you know to see what ability she has to alter her own uh drives i guess Right. Can she be her because can, the can other she thing change is, her mind? Can she be offended by, you know, Day's treatment of her religion and get offended and change her programming? I don't know. 
I don't know. And it's like, she's so inscrutable too. Um, I was just thinking about like, can you imagine being in a relationship with a person like this? <laughs> it's where it's like, Hey, uh, you had a hard deck. I cooked your favorite food lasagna. And she's like, Oh yes. Lasagna. My favorite food as she, you know, <laughs> she, she has a look of, of, uh, uh, crushing disappointment. Just, enter the edges of her eyes you know i <laughs> or, or yeah you ask her like hey did you uh you know did you go by the post office and 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 establish a new account for us today and she says i did my tasks as required like yeah. <laughs> that's not a direct answer i am to loyal to the post office <laughs> right, uh okay right. did you actually slick the stamp though uh-huh. um and you know, every time like we we uh, we've debated about what she means when she says empire, but you go all the way back, like the Cleonic dynasty is just the last bit of the empire that stretches back for thousands of years. So mm-hmm. she could literally be talking about the pre, pre you know the pre Cleonic concept of the empire on Trantor, sure, and not yeah, the so Cleonic clone dynasty in particular. So just yeah, there's a lot of a lot of wiggling in these rooms. Yeah, I, I mean, it's in. the biggest thing I want to know about Dimmerzel. What are her loyalties? Um, I, I hope we get a little bit more information about that this season. Lucas says, I hope they touch on this at some point, but when Cleon talked about no one remembering why the stadium was originally built, it made me wonder if you can just decant clones and they have all their memories right up until insert bad death event, whatever. Why don't the why didn't the OG Cleon just keep passing down his memories to each subsequent clone, effectively resulting in immortality? Not this was best served the story, obviously, just hoping there was an in-universe explanation for it that I missed. I mean, so he the idea of like a subset, right? I mean, the, the the whole revelation of like he has three times the memory of us is is shocking because we always thought he did pass down all those memories directly, right? No, I. I guess I thought that they decant the dawn. It's a baby, and that that dawn is raised by day, dusk, and Dimmerzel to be the next, like instructed, like a child. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I, I never thought that there was like flash clone memories, even though they're clearly technologically capable of it. Um, I guess is because yeah, like why why mm. did they call themselves exponents rather than I'm still Cleon? I'm just every 30 years I get a younger body. Like my, so here's 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 my head canon. Hmm. I think that Cleon identified a number of weaknesses in a hereditary dynasty and he wanted to come up with a new form of government that had all the strengths of the former, you know, way of government but none of its weaknesses in terms of messy succession. And the idea, instead of, like, identically cloning someone, that by training them, that that would be, um, like, a way to optimize the ruler. You know, like, as as the galactic conditions change, you don't need the same person. And being raised in these changing galactic conditions by people who are changed by the galaxy gives them enough flexibility that they would be the, it'd be the, the, ultimate, the ultimate dynasty. You'd never need to replace it. Because it, it feels I deliberate. I guess that's not how I interpreted it. Um, what we've been seeing. I, I thought all the memories were passed down. So you think that every Cleon has every Cleon's memories or just the first one that they start with? You're born as an infant with I guess that doesn't make knowledge. a lot of sense given the numbers we saw, huh? Because like it, each of them wouldn't have 80-something. They'd have 80-something plus 
Yeah, yeah they, they wouldn't they, have a subset. Be exponentially, or not even exponentially, but they'd Each be one would have a little bit growing. bigger of a file. Yeah. yeah. So okay, yeah, I need to change because I was always under I was always under that assumption this entire time. So I guess I need to update that in my so brain. It, it's got to be a cultural, not a technological. Re- it's got to be something that this is the way Klingon Klingon wanted it set up. Not mm-hmm. be- obviously not because you couldn't transfer memories into clones, but that's that crazy is- because you're wanting to set one thing in stone, but you're wanting the other to evolve. That's weird. You want to set the the genome of these people. You want to have the exact identical person physically in charge, but not give them the same mentality. That's. Do you think it was a political compromise? Like he would rather just be the eternal leader, but he knew that the uh, elites of the galaxy and the common people would not would would bulk against that. So having the genetic component to like, well, eh, we got 30 years of this guy and then we'll have a slightly different version. And they do seem different. They're not like there's no I, which continuity I of personality. From, I always saw it resulted from the genetic drift, right? The the reveal that they've been, you know, the original has been tainted, and we're all less than. Or yeah, it's tough because we didn't. Way. We never got to see a full cycle of Cleons uncorrupted. It would have been interesting to see at least one phase of that because. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the all the Cleons have their own little the different what is it, epitaph, you know, the dreamer, the painter, the engineer, mm-hmm. the builder. Um to me that shows that there's uh, there were subtle differences even before they started genetically drifting. Yeah, that would make sense. Um but yeah, yeah I don't know not... what the purpose of that is in within this dynasty though. Like why set it up that way? Yeah. Whether it's a political concern, whether it's like uh just a structural concern a longevity thing like you can't have the same person ruling because it'll just crumble eventually I don't know I will say I think that they do have answers to this and they'll probably get to it because you know they've referenced the they've had a couple tantalizing set scenes of Cleon the first one in the Princetorium we saw or Principium whatever it is the the Hall of Mm -hmm. Memories and the other one when we actually saw him with Demerzel at the start of the genetic dynasty um and they always refer to the plan, you know, mm-hmm. and we've and never we been have, told yeah, that, that what memory the plan stock, is. Right? Yeah, we I feel like we're getting we're, we're headed towards getting big answers. Mm-hmm. I think so. Um, so I, I'm not saying that you have to, have to trust us to like, oh, it's a technological, it's a, it's a it's a complex cultural technological. I, I think that the they'll give us solid answers. Uh, Rob in. Versailles, or I guess if it's in southern Indiana, it's for sales. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. When Day makes a speech about when, when Queen, is it the Empress Gwyneset being forgotten before unveiling the statue, the camera focuses from Day to Demerzel. The collar of the statue also looks a lot like Demerzel. Is there any chance that Demerzel is modeled after um, Gwyneset? Is that why she's pulling all the strings? I don't think so, because Demerzel is 13,000 years old mm-hmm. and came way before this queen. Now, if you're suggesting that uh, Cleon had relations with his robot and made her empress, is that what he's suggesting maybe? Hmm. I don't... And, and I would say, like, I I'd have a so. hard time believing that people wouldn't recognize Demerzel as like, wait, don't you look like the old empress... But in Klingon mm-hmm. the 16th day, they have all forgotten her. 
but that wouldn't have been the case in Cleon the second, third, fourth day. So I, no, I, but they no, keep I, her like cloistered in the the Imperial Palace, right? I I don't think anybody. Yeah, I don't know. Did the, the the people who are, I guess, high up in political structures would notice? Hmm. And that's an, that's a big deal. That's important. Think. Yeah. But the let me ask you this: Can can Dimmerzel change her face? We can. She can repair it. She can regrow it from nothing. I assume. Yeah. Why not? I do too. I do too. I I wonder if some at at, at some point they change Dimmerzel to look like the Empress or something. It's possible because that's what I was getting at. Like, did they just did, did they change her programming only, or did they change her look to reflect, you know, the I don't yeah, know, it, the it, mother of Cleon the first, or whatever she would have been, right? And they just changed his look this episode, so it's like, why couldn't mm-hmm. Dimmerzel at some point start wearing clothes that were reminiscent of, you know, the the Empresses? Because she's kind of that role. She's the mommy. It's possible. It's possible, but you know, a lot of this is all of this right now is so much speculation because we just don't know enough about Demerzel yet. Currently, episode nine is going to give us a lot of answers. We'll have to hold out till then. Mm-hmm. Fred from Newburgh, New York. Tell him is the best character that I absolutely hate. Tell him's cult leader vibes are very strong. I described her to as a friend as having big 1970s New Age California death cult vibes. Like, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure she'll be in a Netflix documentary soon. <laughs> <laughs> she also nails the Magneto outlook of smug superiority and separateness. Um, yeah, about that. I think it's interesting that people like Tellum go through this like, strong negative experience with the majority where they're a minority that's been preyed upon or put upon. Um it seems like in the case of like Magneto and Tellum, when they go through these experiences, they are they come out of there convinced of their own like moral righteousness. Like going through that intense crucible like changes the way they see ethics and morality. It's like, well, if the one side can just hunt us like animals and, you know, kill us for sport, then yeah. maybe drowning one of them to save hundreds and thousands of us isn't the worst thing in the world. Yeah, they they are able to do some moral calculus uh, that comes out in favor of their worldview that maybe I wouldn't do. Um, but you yeah, haven't done the math. The bully, right, <laughs> You've never right. been forced to do that long division. Yeah, uh, it's the bully becoming the the bullied becoming the bully uh, kind of thing, right? Because they're terrified to be put in that position again, mm-hmm. and they'll they'll the if they can ever help it, they'll 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 never they'll never allow the, themselves to be victimized again, even if they have to victimize uh some others to to keep that from happening. Yeah, and it's sort uh, of a, a a romanticizing of their own finer qualities, I guess. Like, oh well, I'm not like that, you know. When when I'm in power, I will make sure that this stuff that was done to me is never done. But in the meantime. I need to do it because the ends justify the means. I'm not like the other tyrants. <laughs> uh, Fred has a long shot prediction. Tell him is the mule. I noticed the mule seems very powerful in Gale's vision, strong enough to maintain an illusion like that. I've got no idea, but I've been wondering when we'll first meet the mule for real and not just a glimpse in the future. Hiding a shark like that would be a heck of a reveal later. I'm definitely wrong, but hey, long shot bets are the ones that pay huge when they hit. Um, what odds would you give Fred here on Tellum being the mule? I, I've wondered about this too. 
I think it's a natural thing to to wonder when you see her powers. Um, and we see consciousness start shifting through technological vessels through different bodies and yeah. And she says she's sick, I think. She says she's not well or ill or whatever she says. But so what? If you can just hop in a cryopod in 150 years from now, you know, uh, you get chemo, your hair drops out, and you don the goggles and start coming after Gale. Um, yeah, I, I think this is a very real possibility. I mean, some people are going to say, well, there's the physical resemblance isn't there at all, but like... Well, she look at what they did with Hugo. That wasn't the... I, I'm leaning toward all of my thinking around this. Like, it kind of started there. Like, maybe tell him the mule. And now I'm starting to think maybe the mule isn't real. Maybe maybe the mule is just an idea planted into Gale's head by Tellum. Because even the damage the mule did to Gale's body was something that Gale's mind did. So you could have uh-huh. a like a psychic manifestation of a villain that can do everything that a villain can. And it's just not real. Yeah. It could crush people's windpipes. It can shoot guns out. Yeah. Huh. I have nothing to actually like support that really. No positive evidence to point to, but the potential is certainly there. So I'm keeping my eye on it. It seems like I never thought about this before, but it seems now that the, he's going down this path, it seems very tidy from a showmaking position to uh, for us to already have met the mule. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's like we don't know it yet. It might be the kid with the scarred face. It might be the kid where it's got the no, there is no spoon vibes. It might be Telm. It might be one of her other mm-hmm. acolytes. It might be Gale. That would be kind of, or Salvor. That, um, that would be kind of interesting. Um, I don't think it can literally be that because he, like, I don't know how you strangle yourself and demand to know where your mentalics are, but you yeah, might be onto I, something there, Fred. The, the only people I'm ruling out, I guess, are like Harry because he doesn't have these powers. He's not sighted, and Gale and Salvor themselves. But everybody else. Yeah, Harry, absolutely not. I, yeah. I don't. I mean, like, look, I've said this before. You can do anything as long as you do it well. But <laughs> uh-huh. subverting the ultimate protagonist from the original books to be the ultimate antagonist seems to be, uh, seems to be a bit much. Yeah, might be a bridge too far. Um, but but again, I'd have to I'd have to see it before I'd condemn it. Um, that's all we have for feedback this this week. If you are sending feedback, make sure uh, if you are sending feedback intended for David Goyer, because, again, uh, you missed your first opportunity for questions, but there will be one at the end of the season. Uh, if you'd like to send in a, a, a piece of feedback into cryo storage for the end of the season, make sure you put a Goyer in that subject line. So I'll know to search for it uh, when that time comes. Uh, that's foundation at baldmove.com for feedback. If you'd like to follow us, uh, along to see what else we're doing, because currently we've got, uh, uh, yeah, what are we doing right now? Jim? Justified City Prime Evil. We're covering, we're about to start up, uh, Ahsoka, the new Star uh-huh. Wars series, where we've got, uh, Walking Dead's Daryl Dixon spinoff that we're considering. Uh, seems like we got a release date for Fargo, I think, Fargo season five. Uh, lots of cool stuff coming up. Best way to keep up with what we're doing at Bald Move is set, searching for at Bald Move on your favorite social media app. With the exception of TikTok, we're at Baldest Move there. Finally, if you like our podcast, you've been listening to a while, uh, for a while, you want to know how to help keep us podcasting uh, and get a bunch of cool stuff like ad-free feeds, extra bonus audio, video content, check out support.baldmove.com. 
We'd love to have you in the club. That's that does it for this week's foundation episode. Uh, can't wait again uh, to see what happens next week. Until then, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. Respect and enjoy the podcast. Mm-hmm.